Welcome to the Best Picture cast. I am your host, Kieran B. I recently completed my goal of watching every Oscar Best Picture winner ever and decided to start a podcast to review each one. Each episode, myself and a revolving co-host will discuss, assess, and evaluate a different Best Picture winner with a goal to establish a ranking for the entire list. This is not a Who Should Have Won podcast. We're here to discuss the inner circle of movies who took home the crown in their respective years. As a disclaimer, this is an opinion-based podcast and a subjective discussion by movie enthusiasts who don't claim to be trained experts. If we destroy your favorite movie or praise a movie that you think is trash, we encourage you to write in at our email, which is bestpicturepodcast at yahoo.com. Again, that's Best Picture Podcast at yahoo.com. You can also find us on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. Just search Best Picture Cast. Again, Best Picture Cast. You can get us on all of those platforms. And we are back yet again for another movie on the old list. Happy to be back here. I have a new guest joining me today. He's making his BPC debut a new contestant in the BPC universe. Before I introduce him, uh, I'm gonna let you know that we're doing American Beauty today, the 1999 Best Picture winner. Lot to discuss here with this flick. Here to discuss it with me is Jay Dowski. Jay, how you doing today? Good, how are you? Long time, first time. Long, long time, first time. Yeah, my, it's been, uh, been waiting to get you on here. I'm happy to uh, finally be breaking the mold here and getting you in the mix. An interesting movie to discuss and a movie that you selected, Jay. I did. Um, you know, you have been gracious enough to let me come on here. When I found out you were doing this, I remember saying to you, I have to do this. I don't know how, I'll do whatever, but I want to be on this. And you said, all right, come up with a list. And I gave you five movies and this was on it. And I'm very glad that we chose this one. Definitely, man. And you know what? It's not one that I would have selected right out of the gate. But after watching it, I'm definitely super interested in having this conversation. There's a lot to talk about. It's, it's not a run-of-the-mill Best Picture winner. There's definitely a lot of moving parts to it and a lot of interesting trivia to go along with it, too. So this is going to be a good discussion. So we're talking American Beauty. Jay, what was your first experience with American Beauty? So American Beauty for me is one of the reasons I put it on my list to you that I wanted to do it is it's kind of uh, I have some some personal attachment to American Beauty. It came out in 99 and I was 14 years old and I remember my brother taking me to go see it at the movie theater and he's probably he's three years older than me so it's like your big brother's taking you he can drive now we were excited. We saw Kevin Spacey in the previews, and we had loved. Can you say Kevin Spacey on air? I think we we don't. We'll, we'll we'll find out later. We have to edit it out, but I think we should be good. On like Kill Bill, like beep. Right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, so we saw. So Usual Suspects comes out in '95, and we love Kaiser Soze. We we quote Usual Suspects. So when '99 comes around and Kevin Spacey's in this movie, we were like, I was like, can we go see it? And being a good big, big brother, it was like a special event when your brother took you to go to the movies alone, just you and him. We saw Snatch around this time, I think same year. We saw yep. Snatch, The Blair Witch Project, and we see American Beauty in the theaters. 
and I remember we loved it, we leave, we end up like quoting the movie afterwards for months and months on end. I actually remember coming home and my mom had flowers on the kitchen table and they were like dying and there was roses in them. I said, I was like, Joe, go lay down on the bed. They took all the petals off the roses <laughs> and I stood on top of the bed and I dropped them onto his face like in the, in the scene we're gonna talk about. And, I, and he's just like, spectacular <laughs> so it's just uh oh, and, it, and we still to this day we still talk about it we it was a, it's a it was a great experience going something i won't forget and while we're talking about flower petals and that's obviously the uh, image that this movie is, has left is that scene with uh with those red flower petals i am drinking the ithaca flower power ale today the ithaca flower power ipa to kind of keep up with the american beauty scene and my first experience with this movie, man, I watched this when it came out, like probably like right when it came out to home video. I'm, you know, I'm in high school at the time. I don't really have much recollection from the first watch, but then I remember rewatching it in college and then probably just after that. And then I have not seen it since. So it, it was a very long time until I watched it last night. Much different experience this time around when you could kind of get over the storyline and the emotion of what's going on and kind of focus on, on what they were trying to do and, and, and what they were able to achieve with it. So I'm definitely more ready to talk about this now than I was when you brought it up. So uh, like I said, had I left to my own devices, this probably would have been one we did further down the road, but that's how this, that's, that's the nice part about how this works is, is you, get, you get pushed into one and then you end up getting something out of it that you, that you appreciate. So. Uh, I do want to mention, too, Jay, that you are the author of a novel, and a novel that's been out, and you have a, a, the sequel to it coming out, but the name of the novel is Bury Me in Montauk by Jay Dowski. It's available on Amazon. Correct. Cool. So you can get that on Amazon. Uh, tell us a little, bit about the, uh, a little bit about the novel. So Bury Me in Montauk is about uh, two brothers who receive word of their father's death and receive his urn and a note that says, bury me in Montauk, take the urn together and go bury me in Montauk. Now they really don't know what's going on. They hardly ever talk to their father. They hardly ever talk to each other. So it's kind of a, a shock for them to first be brought together and then to have to go travel together out to Montauk with their father's urn. Wow. And on their way to finding out where, where to bury him, they find out who their father was during his life. So on their way to burying him, they start digging up all these little hints and clues about his life and why he was the way he was. It's a like a suspense mystery. No. Very nice, very nice. And I have my brand new signed copy right here, <laughs> Bury Me in Montauk. And uh, I'm looking forward to uh, take a little break from my regularly scheduled Stephen King library reading and uh, and get into Bury Me in Montauk. It'll it's be... a great beach read. And that's, very quick beach read. It's that time of year for that too. We just passed the Memorial Day. I think we're ready to go here, man. You, anything else you want to uh, you want to bring in before we deep dive this baby? The one thing I just, when you were introducing it and you said it's not like your typical best picture, I originally, when I sent you that list, I was like, oh God, please let it be like Forrest Gump. Like who doesn't want to talk about Forrest Gump? It's a, yeah. it's a great film. It's got all the moving parts. You know, acting, directing, music, uh, cinematography, and it's like a big film. And Forrest Gump is like the Academy's favorite kind of film. Like these big films or the epics or like the hero's journey. Uh, movies like in the 80s around 
our time, like Gandhi, Amadeus, Out of Africa, The Last Emperor, like these are all movies that the Academy is, is eating up. And then in the 90s, Dances with Wolves wins. And then Silence of the Lambs comes along and you just, it's funny, you just did Last this week, podcast. Yep. And it's like not the typical epic, yep. <laughs> you know, winner. Yep. It's like this visceral, guttural, like movie that you'll never forget how it made you feel the first yeah, time you saw a, a it. A true, you know, a true original story. Right. And, and it went up against JFK, which could have easily won because of how much production effort that took to Big make. cast. Right? So then, so they do Silence of the Lambs and it's like an outlier. And then they go back to Unforgiven, Schindler's List, Forrest Gump, Braveheart, The English Patient, Titanic, Shakespeare in Love, which is still a big period piece. Yeah, this is the American Beauty and the aforementioned Sounds of the Lambs are the only two nominated, or sorry, the only two Best Picture winning movies in the 90s that aren't period pieces. Correct. And then it's followed up by Gladiators. So they go right back <laughs> down Over Traffic, which was like their perfect opportunity to make a statement. But what I did, but what I we see now in 2020 more than ever that the Academy is going back to these small, quote unquote, smaller films about like personal stuff, like Parasite, or um, in 2016, Moonlight yep. over La La Land. Like yep. that was La La Land. If it was, it was 1940s, was a shoo-in, a yeah. surefire. Oh yeah, they went musical. They go the, Moonlight. Uh... They went in 2015. They went Spotlight over The Revenant. They're starting to like enjoy the idea of awarding these small films that like hit you somewhere hard like in the gut and they're like somewhat like lower budget than you know these bigger films that you yeah win. yeah and american beauty definitely falls right into that that realm there i think one of the things that we'll talk about when we get into this that kind of changes the scope of these movies too is is this is this is kind of one of the last years before 9-11 hits and really shakes the the narrative of, of what the stories that people want to tell and I think you get a little bit of that within the within the climate of this movie. What do you say? We're, while we're here, what do, why don't we get into it? You ready? What do you say, Jen? One more time for the <laughs> sweet souvenir. <laughs> All right, here we go. Let's dive. American Beauty. The year is 1999. It is the dawn of the turn of the century. President of the United States is Bill J. Clinton, and he's all wrapped up in impeachment trials around this time. <laughs> The World Series, God, it's the second week in a row where we have an Atlanta Brave defeated team in the World Series. <laughs> Very disappointing. And last week was 1991, Jay, and Jay here is a big Pirates fan, and right. the Braves, of course, beat the Pirates in that 91 NLCS. So I so don't I... feel bad for you when you talk about <laughs> losing in the World Series. So I did get to rib him a little bit there. But it's the New York Yankees. So doubly, not only do the Braves lose, but the Yankees win. It's a sweep. The Yankees sweep the Braves in the World Series. It's the infamous John Rocker Subway experience where they beat the Mets in the NLCS and then face the Yankees and John Rocker riffs on the subways. Kieran never turns down an opportunity to text me and say, Yo, turn on yeah, FSNY, and it's the Braves Pirates game. Sid Slid. Sid Slid, That's baby. all I hear, Sid Slid. And Sid Bream. I can't wait. Can't wait to watch this. Sid Bream beating Barry Bonds' throw to Mike Lavalier. After Andy Van Slyke said, Barry, a couple, yeah. of, a couple of steps in there. And he gave the universal peace sign, as they put it. Song of the Year. It's from an Oscar Award winner. It's Believe by Cher. Do you believe in life after love? After love, after love. It's the birth of the auto-tune. 
uh, more or less at least in, the, in popular music. And American Beauty wins the Oscar for Best Picture. American Beauty is directed by Sam Mendes, written by Alan Ball. The cinematography is by Conrad L. Hall. The movie is starring Kevin Spacey, Annette Bening, Mina Savari, Chris Cooper, Thora Birch, Wes Brantley, and Allison Janney. It was nominated for eight Oscars. It won five of those eight nominations, including Best Picture, Best Lead Actor, Kevin Spacey, Best Director, Sam Mendes. Best Screenplay, Alan Ball. Best Cinematography, Conrad L. Hall. The other nominees that it did not take home, Lead Actress, Annette Bening. Film Editing and Original Score. And kind of an interesting factor about this as far as Oscars go is it very nearly won the Big Five. Mm -hmm. And we discussed the Big Five last week with Sounds of the Lambs. There's only three movies that have done it. Sounds of the Lambs, One Flew of the Cuckoo's Nest, two movies we've covered already, and It Happened One Night being the third. So this very nearly and arguably could have. And uh, Annette Bening takes home this trophy if Hilary Swank is not doing Boys Don't Cry. You know what? I have a take on that too, man. I think, I think Hilary Swank might have won that because they were hesitant to put this in the big five. Yeah category, which is a little, I hope that that's not the case. I hope that they didn't decide it based on that. Right. And it, they probably didn't because it's tough to, it's tough for each voter to forecast how yeah, everyone's going to go. Conspiracies. But uh, you, you'd have to be worried about that because honestly, I thought I, I liked Annette Bening's performance better than I like Kevin Spacey's right. performance. In yeah. this, you know, We'll get into that. Uh, we'll get into that more. But yeah, Annette Bening is the only one who does not win the lead actress, but it gets best picture, it gets lead actor, it gets director, and it gets writing those would be the big five that we're referring to. The final Best Picture winner of the 90s, an interesting year in movies. Sometimes I wonder if it's, if I'm just more nostalgic about the 90s than, than maybe someone else. I wonder how like someone who maybe was born a lot earlier than me or maybe a little later than me views it because those are kind of like, that's the decade I'm really getting into big movies and watching the Oscars and, and seeing what won. I, think, I don't know. What do you think on that? I think that's true. I think the same would go for 90s music. You know, 90s yeah. alt-rock, like, uh, you know, listen to, I'm on a desert island, that's the genre I'm going with. Yeah, oh yeah. Oh yeah, a little Pearl rock. Jam, yeah. Soundgarden. Yeah, you know. we'll get into the movies in 99 later, but we've talked about 94 being like one of the best years ever. So we have, are, both of us are definitely nostalgic for this yeah era yeah for sure you know and we just went over the list of these big epics and period pieces those are those are still movies that hold up to this day movies like brave hard forrest gump like nobody looks at that and says like ah oh, that shit was like that movie stuck you know what I'm yeah it's yeah. a great time i would think the filmmaking. following year gladiator is the same deal uh it, yeah you know titanic's kind of gone, gone up and down the old uh, approval rating meter over the years, I think people are starting to remember it a little better than they were initially when it was at mega blockbuster status. Since we're since we're talking about it already, why don't you bring up some of those movies that were in 99? Because 99 is an interesting year where I look at the nominees and kind of say, this is kind of a weak year for nominees. <laughs> but why don't you talk about some of the other movies that, that, were, that came out that year? So the other movies, so I didn't realize how awesome 1999 was. First of all, a top 10 movie for me, Magnolia. Absolutely, and, I went, and when I was doing prep for this, man, I was shocked that that wasn't nominated for Best Picture. I mean, to me, that has I, Best Picture written all over. It might be a shade I know too gets, long. Yeah, he gets the uh, screenplay nomination, mm -hmm. but not much. Like, that's it. Probably editing. I don't know for sure, but, you know, definitely screenplay. 
And yeah, they kind of just, oh, Tom Cruise gets nominated. Tom Cruise, and, and you know, I, I still am holding out for that Tom Cruise win one of these days. I hope, <laughs> I hope like, it's coming. It'll just he gets on the couch or on the podium and just starts <laughs> electrifying the presenter. <laughs> Maybe next year when he's playing Hamlet in space, you know, <laughs> Hamlet on the moon, he'll be able yeah. to get, he'll be he's able to get He's a stud, like, some people don't like him, but, like, I watched the, the latest Mission Impossible, and the guy learned how to fly a helicopter for that movie. Unreal. So all I, it yeah. does, all his own stunts. Yeah, so I give it to that guy. So Magnolia comes out. The Matrix revolutionizes, you know, how action movies are done and, like, camera angles and graphics and special effects. And, and talking about The Matrix, I think that if this is today, Matrix is definitely in the 10 nominees list. I, I think right, that right, right. I think back then they were probably a little more hesitant to, nom to nominate uh, sci-fi and comedies. You know, if you look at, like, a Jurassic Park, which I think today would get nominated and wasn't back then. But other movies that weren't nominated for Best Picture, because we'll get, as, as we always say, it's not a who should have won podcast. And we'll get into the other nominees at the very end of the podcast. But, yeah, just about the other ones that, that stood out to you that weren't nominated that came out that year. Fight Club. Fight Club. I missed, actually missed that on my Classic. list. Classic. American Pie. All these movies are cult, pop culture, you know, legends for yeah, us. For people for like sure. you and me who grew up. You'll never forget American Pie. Blair Witch Project. Another one I think got criminally undersold. <laughs> like the, the fact that that got nominated for a Razzie is absurd to me. That that to me, that great. should have been in the, uh, with the, the list of nominees too. I that picked crazy. that last week for my horror movie. You're not going to, yeah, that is crazy. Um, remember that being such a big thing, like we thought it was so real? It was brilliant. It was, it was brilliant. brilliant marketing. It was brilliant marketing. It was and from like, the business end of movie making. It cost them 10 grand and they made yeah. millions and millions of and dollars. I feel like that's one of the first found footage. You know, after that, you know, everyone talks about like, Tarantino copycats after Blair Witch everyone tried to do a found footage movie and this is like this was the beginning of it yeah. um, Varsity Blues we'll never forget in high school Big Daddy Office Space Boondock Saints Sleepy Hollow Man on the Moon Austin Powers analyze this South Park and okay. it's the beginning of Star Wars alright so yeah I have so the two I had two that the girl interrupted Jolie, Angelina Jolie gets the gets the Oscar for that. Being John Malkovich too, yeah. uh, Spike Jones gets a nominee for. It. And for me, the most criminally underrated movie in these Oscars that should have been up for Best Picture, should have won Best Song. You just mentioned it. It's South Park, Bigger, Longer, Uncut. Another one, man. I do just was before its time. I think that if it comes out today, it gets considered in that ten nominee I list because it's a great film absolutely and it, it's not for everyone if they don't like the vulgar language and the whole south park style but right and we're and we're at this and everybody loves the book of mormon and it's obviously done by the same people i think you know that we've gotten used to south park south park was like the initial like in your face and now people are like yeah. this is them that's what they do but now that people love it they love the book of mormon they love that crude humor i remember the academy awards and robin williams robin williams the yep. best original songs yeah he performed uh, blame canada yep. yeah in his genius yeah performed robin williams performed blame uh blame canada excellent okay so let's talk let's talk american beauty now this movie's shot extremely well man we're going to talk a little bit about the cinematographer conrad l hall when we get into when we get into this thing but i want to i want to start start talking about the opening of this movie here 
and I did not remember how this movie opened at all. Like, I assumed that it opened with the Kevin Spacey narration over the panning over the town. And, and this is basically just takes place in any town USA. It's, they don't tell you specifically where it is. I think if you read the tea leaves a little bit, it's probably around the Chicago area. I was going to say Midwest. Yeah, I think just Illinois, when they pull Chicago. Out, you see the whole town, and it's like, it looks like almost like a university in the background. I could be wrong. But yeah. yeah. I believe it was filmed in California, but but yeah, I think it's I think if you you really read into it, it's probably Illinois, but it's supposed to just be any town USA, and every town USA, every town USA. There you go. So yeah, it opens with that video cam scene that is basically like a clip from a scene we'll see later in the movie. It kind of leads you to believe, or or at least when I'm remembering the movie, it just made me think that it was about something that it wasn't, and then I watched the movie. And then did a little reading about it. Goes, oh no, it was about something that I didn't think it was about, you know. But we'll 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 discuss that a little more. Uh, what do you think about this opening scene here with with the the video the cam video and, and more specifically the, the spacing narration over the? the well, are you talking about? Did you read about the courtroom drama? Yes. Yeah. Where and, I, you want to talk about that later? Uh, let's yeah. Let's let's get into that. Let's get into that. Because I think bit. that's where Sam Mendes shot. Like just knowing that fact alone, and knowing how he switched the entire film the meaning of the film i think is brilliant a hundred percent honestly know? it saved it saved yeah. the movie it made the, we're not talking about this today if it, if it isn't for sam mendez stepping in and doing so that we'll do that later then yeah and well i mean while we're talking about it now let's <laughs> not hide it and i, I do want to i do want to just throw this out there in case you've been listening if this is your first time listening spoiler alerts are out the window here boys <laughs> boys and girls where we talk about the movie we deep dive it we're going through everything here so if you yeah. haven't seen this movie and you don't want us to ruin certain things about it it's time to pause it <laughs> go watch the movie and come back and right. rejoin us and but with us. uh yeah basically what what jay is referencing there is is that there was a whole court scene part of this movie where they're going to investigate the murder of kevin spacey's character and they they took out the intro and the outro to this movie based on that. Instead, let the story and the themes of the story be the stars as opposed to this. And God, what a good, what a good choice. Because this, if this was an episode of SVU, it, would have, it just wouldn't have aged well. And we talked about that last week with Sounds of the Lambs. You know? That movie got ahead of it all. But this would not have. It, yeah, it could have been a throwaway, it could have been a throwaway court, uh, courtroom drama. Instead, it's like a movie that kind of makes you assess your life, you know, yeah. <laughs> which it, you wouldn't have if you were just caught up in who killed them. And if it was just a who done it, you know, at the end of it, you really don't. Yes, you you know who does it and you're shocked in a way, but you know, it's not what you take away from the movie. You're not like, oh, I can't believe that guy did it. You, you take away what Kevin Spacey's talking about with the voiceover in the beginning and then the voiceover at the end. I remember in 2000, you know, being like, you know, the screenwriting fanatic that I was, looking up the original screenplay and seeing that Ricky Fitz is in jail in the beginning of the movie, you know, like, and he's on trial for the murder of Lester Burnham. And I'm like, this wasn't in the movie? Like, wait, and then I heard Sam Mendes talking about, you know, he, he didn't realize this until the movie was over in the editing booth. He's like, there's a different movie here. Yeah. And he probably pained him to cut all these scenes of like courtroom drama, but he found the tone, the backbone of the movie in the last phase of making the movie. Yeah, but basically, so he was arguing with Alan Ball, the writer, over it, and Ball obviously wrote the script, so he had that stuff in there. Mendez is like, we gotta cut down on this, this court stuff, it's too much. And they're arguing back and forth, and they're arguing back and forth, and they're not coming to an agreement. And ultimately, Mendez, so the, the stuff that Mendez cut, Ball wasn't into. 
He goes, no, nah, we need to have it. So Mendez basically just cut it off. So, well, what about if we take it all out? And then Ball went, ooh, now there's, <laughs> yeah, now there's something here that I didn't. And it, yeah, yeah. it's funny, like, if, if you've seen, and Alan Ball is a creator and the writer of Six Feet Under, and if you have seen the show or if you're a fan of the show, this movie really launches the theme of Six Feet Under, and you can kind of see the, the blueprints of it from there. And I wonder if that if those blueprints existed before this movie was cut into and edited into what it is now. It's interesting to think about. It is cool. But as far as that opening scene goes, man, I, I still think they should should have cut that. First I don't part. like that part. Yeah. I don't like the camera. The first of all, Thomas Newman's score is so like taunting, like yep. haunting, like yeah. do, 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 you know. And he, and you, yeah. you watch Road to Perdition. He's very like that. I don't know what he's using xylophones. Uh, I know. It's, it's, it's got like a. Uh, it's great. Yeah, it's, you know, got, it's got like a Dexter vibe to yes. it. Yeah, yeah. So I love the the, the next, the, the second opening of the movie, which is Thomas Newman's music and the coming down the street. So I would have loved to open up with that and just be like, you know, just like, okay, let's groove it now, right? And I you, think it throws everything off in the beginning. Like, I don't, Lester's already telling you 30 seconds later that he's going to die. So I don't really want to know or care that the kids did it. Like, I don't need like this the spin on the end. It's it's fine. I get it. Yeah. But I didn't need to go through the whole movie thinking, you know, Ricky and Jane are gonna do it, gonna do it, gonna do it, and then when you find that they don't do it, that I don't. That's not the biggest thing for me in this movie. Yeah, and we'll you know we'll get into that that end part because because there's another part with that too where they kind of tease the Annette Benning being involved too. I don't like that either. But yeah, you know that being that as a and, and my biggest issue with that with that opening scene is it doesn't really tie into any themes that are within the movie and if you're going to open and I think that most of the movies we've covered so far we've all pretty much agreed to that real super strong opening shots and this is one that would have if they would have started with the spacey right. narration now voiceover narration is something we've discussed a lot so far in this podcast if you've listened to our old episodes you'll know that this is an example of if you wanted a, a reason, a, a place where it's called for and totally necessary. This would be one of the first places I'd go. And didn't, I mean, it, it is yeah. as essential as it could be here. Yeah, especially at the end. You know, yeah. when it hits you home. Beginning and end. Yeah, it's, it's yeah. not over-explaining anything. Yeah, he, it's yeah. it's literally giving you like the subconscious thoughts of a man. It, it yeah before he and, dies. And so. it's very so the camcorder part and then. Spacey's voiceover. It's very Sunset Boulevard-esque, you know, yeah. where he's in the pool in the beginning. He's dead, floating in the Great pool, call. and he's kind of like, well, I guess you're wondering how I got myself into this. Yeah. Well, let's flash yeah. back. And yeah. so I always get like those Sunset vibes when I hear him say That's a great call. And, and speaking of pools and other classic movies that, I, that stood out to me that influenced this one a little bit, not necessarily in the same way, but uh, I just recently watched The Graduate. I don't know if you've ever seen The Graduate. <laughs> yeah. I, I saw a lot of tonal situations within the graduate graduate that I think influenced Sam Mendes in, in this one too with right. just kind of being trapped in your little life and, and Mrs. Robinson looking to stir the pot a little yeah. bit and, and you get a kind of reverse Mrs. Robinson situation with Mina Sir Severi and, and Kevin Spacey. And I'm gonna I'm just gonna throw this out there and apologize at, ahead of time. It's been a lifelong battle for me to not call Mina Severi 
Mira Sorvino. Isn't it mean? <laughs> they're they're like kind of like they're like it's like a Chinese finger trap for me with those two. Well, so, is it Mina Savari or Savari? Mina Savari. I mean, listen, if I get to Mina Savari, that's that's a win. Okay. So <laughs> if you start hearing me randomly start talking about Mira Sorvino and it, it, it totally throws your mental track off, just reset, calibrate right now, and realize that that mistake is probably going right. to occur. By the end of it, it'll be Paul Sorvino. Remember what Stacy's seducing. <laughs> Talking about themes of this movie, like what what pops out to you like right out of the gate as as the general themes um, that, that you think this movie's talking about? You know, get it out on the table now, so we can kind of tie it in as we go right, through. Right, right, right. This movie's in my top ten, and this I is probably, in your top ten all time. Wow. Yeah, cool. so I've seen it probably twelve times, wow. and it always there's uh, it's got so many layers. There's always something I pick up. Um, every time I watch it. So there, uh, there's multiple themes, you know, for me when I watch it. First of all, American Beauty, like the American dream of all these characters putting up this facade of how they think they're supposed to look, like what, like their idea of what success is. So uh, Carolyn Burnham, her idea, you know, right in front, you know, um, plain as day, the real estate agent and her just talk about to be successful you have to project an image of success and that's like her mo she's like flat out all about that she wants to sell the house she wants her marriage to look successful so that's her facade mina savari it wants to feel special so she's a slut that's her facade yeah because she thinks that makes her different and she thinks it makes her special that guys at school you know jerk off to her yeah yeah janie is flat out the physical facade like literally she wants breast implants she wants to look better physically by getting breast implants and Lester's like the only one besides Ricky who's going the other way he's done with the facade he's done pleasing looking successful feeling like he has to do things in a certain way and we will get to the part when he realizes that but I think that's what's weighing him down is he's you know he's not He's not living the life he wants. He's doing what he thinks he's supposed to be doing, and that's not what he wants to do. Yeah, so that's a big theme for me. The second thing you want to talk about that? Well, I mean, one one scene that that I pulled out for you, you can go in if I don't if I don't cover it here. There's that play off of the surface versus what's beneath. Absolutely. And I think that the the name American Beauty it came from a, a, a type of rose that is a rose, so it's beautiful, but it's it's known for its roots to rot. So underneath, awesome. it's, it destroys itself, right. even though it looks the outside. pretty, so that's, but the roots are rotted. That's brilliant. Yeah, actually. that's where they came from the, the title. Very but cool. beyond that surface level, too, a, a theme that kind of like, in digging deeper with this one, that, that kind of popped to me a little bit is depression. And I feel like all of the characters suffer from a level of depression, and that plays into the surface versus what's within. Whether it's the colonel putting on his military tough guy vibe and, and what he really is inside, right. whether it's his wife who's just completely a prisoner Shell to her. <laughs> yeah, you have, or you have Annette Benning breaking down in the closet and crying or, or breaking down uh, uh, at the screen glass window when she can't sell the house. Yeah. Thora Birch's character, of course, is a teen, a teen. And you get different types of depression. And to me, the only one who doesn't show the overt signs of depression is the only one that's been in the psych facility in Ricky, where he has kind of, he's gone through this part of his life where he goes, no, I'm going to take life by the balls now, and I'm going to say what I mean, 
and I'm going to go out and get what I want. And really the only person he's dishonest with is his father, who he loves despite the father's being intertwined with hatred right. throughout. And it's about keeping up the facade. So when you min- mentioned Carolyn breaking down, she can't sell a house and she's smacking the shit out of herself. And then you see her like, no, snap out of it. Put your face together. Let's keep going. And like, you just saw like a crack. And yeah. then she covered it up real fast. And that's all the movie's about with her is covering up her cracks. And then at the very end, when shit hits the fan, she just explodes open. Yeah. And that's like the most gratifying part for her character. As, you know, and that's probably the biggest character arc in the, in the movie. Yeah. Because you don't expect that. And that's the last thing she wants is to crack open and be revealed. And she does. She just absolutely explodes. And that's a great scene. Yeah. And I, I got to say, too, with, with this, and, you know, one of the, one of the, the categories for our awards that we've added recently is the the time machine recast where you can pick anyone at any point of their career and plug it into the movie. And I you know, we just did that for Rocky and Silence of the Lambs and I sweated out that and I got to Mary Beauty. I'm like, all right, well this one'll be easy. But dude, I gotta tell you, this was by far the hardest one. This movie is cast yeah. near perfectly. Yeah. It really is. Every single character pulls their weight and every actor really becomes their character in an incredible way where like I don't even don't even want to touch it I right. we'll, we'll get into that later yeah. with what I did with it but and it was an in-depth casting process for sure and there's some interesting choices that they could have made that they didn't make that I think worked out well but I, I really across the board this whole cast is just is killer is killer in this so after our opening pan scene where we kind of go go through the yards and everything we we meet the neighbors the gyms yeah. Uh, Scott Bacala is. So, what's uh, your business? <laughs> <laughs> Big Scott Bacala from Quantum Leap, if yeah. anyone's a Quantum Leap fan of there. And, and, and it's also in that Always Sunny in Philadelphia episode where he plays himself as a, as a Quantum Leaper. <laughs> That's amazing. But where they, uh, they, uh, the, the gang becomes black. Right. They're kind of painting this perfect portrait of an American family with the white picket fence, and they're discussing, oh, how do you get to grow your roses like that? Right. And uh, the, the, the gay dudes are yelling at their dog, you know, no bark, no bark. <laughs> and the gyms are great characters in this. They're just really friendly, uh, overt people who are just the, when they meet the colonel is a, is a great scene too. But right. So Lester's kind of really taking you through his whole, his whole deal here. And, you know, I, I asked you to, to pull a quote and I pulled a quote too. And mine just happens to kind of be right out of the beginning of this thing. Look at me, jerking off in the shower. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and there's definitely, there's definitely no shortage of Kevin Spacey uh, handling himself in this movie. Uh, let's, <laughs> let's, let's, while we're here, yeah. while we're here, let's do the Kevin Spacey disclaimer situation here. <laughs> okay. All right, so there's obviously no way to avoid this here with a movie like this. This is his second Oscar win in this one. In five years. We're going we're gonna to be dealing with this a couple times throughout these podcasts. The Woody Allen episode is another one that will come up as well. But these, these people are actors who are not necessarily all upstanding citizens. Right. So we're going to try to separate the art from the artist. Right. And whatever Kevin Spacey does in his personal life that's obviously sunk his career is for someone else to discuss at this point. We're gonna pretty much just talk about about uh, his portrayal of the character in this movie. We're gonna talk a little bit about his other movies. Don't think that we are praising this terrible person. We're just kinda, we're, we're here to discuss cinema at this yeah. time and, and what was done. Well, absolutely. I don't think you could talk about American Beauty without, for me, talking about the, his good acting in the film. 
Yeah. yeah. I don't, it's not about Kevin Spacey. It's about his performance in American Beauty. Yeah, and, and at the same time, when we're doing a movie podcast, how can you bring up Kevin Spacey and not bring up Seven and not bring up Usual Suspects and right. L.A. Confidential? Yeah, Jack's back. Yeah, so it's yeah. it's just kind of goes with the guilt territory there. But okay. but anyway, my, my quote, and this is from Kevin Spacey's character, Lester, and as they're heading to the car and he's making her late and his briefcase is splitting open and stuff is flying all over the place, we get the voiceover... Both my wife and my daughter think I'm this gigantic loser, and they're right. I have lost something. I'm not exactly sure what it is, but I know I didn't always feel this sedated. But you know what? It's never too late to get it back. And I, I, one of the reasons why that quote kind of popped to me, and it's obviously setting the tone for what his, what his character is going to go through and what many would call a, a midlife crisis, but what others in watching movie might call an enlightenment. One interesting thing I thought about here was the play on the word loser. And it's in many ways a very overused word in our public lexicon. A loser is oh, he's just a loser, he's a loser. But I think when, when most people hear the word loser, they just think of there's a winner and there's a loser. The winner won, the loser lost. And someone who's a loser is just someone who always happens to lose. But he kind of talks about the loser not being someone who just didn't win, someone who lost something, someone who lost something about themselves, something within their essence. And they've alluded to a couple times here in the, the scene where the two of the married couple's on the couch and they're kind of getting into foreplay again before he almost ruins their couch. Right. There, there was a youthful, vibrant couple there. Yeah. They did have a kind of a, a wild fiery love at some point and that's been lost and it seems with that a lot of his passion and his drive for life has been lost too and that has made him a loser in his eyes so I thought that was just kind of an interesting way to set the tone for that character in this movie it's a great quote and you said you just said before that it's either a midlife crisis or he's enlightened and when he's voicing over he's already dead he's already been enlightened so he can look back retrospectively and say and make brilliant insight like that yeah you know so yeah. that's great and when you talk about that couple you know he spent a lot of the movie being sarcastic with her you know making her angry and upset in that couch scene you you realize like, wow, they, yeah, they, they were a little wild, and they did have a little romance, and they let their guard down, and they go back for like 10 seconds. She's back to being a kid again, and then she sees he's about to spill beer yeah. on the this couch. This is a $3,000 couch. <laughs> yeah, he's at work, right? That's yeah, so we go to Lester at work, and we're going to, we're going to meet with, with our buddy Brad, and you know, anyone who's ever worked in an office, there's just... Nothing better than the quality assurance guy. Everybody's got a brand. <laughs> what? And if, if anyone who's ever worked a job where they've made you write down on a piece of paper what it is you actually do knows exactly what that feels like. And, you know, you know I've, I've worked many different kinds of jobs, but those cubicle jobs kind of always tend to at yeah. some point come down to that. What is it you do here, sir? <laughs> when I was doing a little research on the film itself and just listening to like Sam Mendes talk about it, I never realized... He's in the shower, he's confined. He's in jail, is what it's supposed to be. He's looking out at Carolyn, do her roses, talk to Jim. He's behind the glass pane with bars. At, in the office scene, 
he, there is a reflection of his face and there's digits and numbers going down the computer screen. Wow. And his reflection is there as well. So he looks like he's behind bars. Wow. And then on his, yeah, brilliant. I'm like, we, two seconds later, there's a wider shot of his desk and there's a little bumper sticker that says, look closer on his desk. And that is the theme of the film. That yes, was the look film's closer. tagline. If you saw the look movie closer. poster, yeah. look closer. Yeah. And that's the tagline. Like you're saying, there's the American Beauty Rose, but look closer and dig deeper and you will see that there's rotted roots there. And, and I'm doing this one from memory too, but if I'm not mistaken, I do believe on his way back from his job, they're in the minivan, the shot, they're arguing in the minivan, she's riding him, and well, what are you just gonna be unemployed? So you get the shot, you don't, the camera's not in the minivan with them talking, you're outside the minivan, I believe it might even be behind a fence the too. Fence, yeah, right? so the, the fences fence. would be the, the yeah. old jail there too, where he's yeah. kind of, Enclosed by his his life there, so very very cool pickup. That is cool. We're then gonna gonna get that first dinner scene. We get to see them in there, and and one of the things that that is in the beginning of the movie and is then again in the end of the movie is the use of photographs. And he kind of looks. You see the photographs of Jane as a young girl and and them as a as a happy couple. And that could you know were they really happy back then? Were they not? You know. But again, the photograph shows you the. The glimpse of life, right. just they were happy. What, yes, and what that life looked at. But does a does a photo tell the whole story of what's beneath? Right. And you kind of get that on later later and you on. You see that too. they're young. You know, they they yep. were young. Yeah, and she, happy. The, yeah, Jane's probably she's probably right. like six. So there's two dinner scenes, both obviously very different. This one, you know, the the music's playing, and well, when you cook a a healthy yet savory meal, <laughs> then you can pick the music. I wonder if she like decided to to. To cook one day, she could blast Limp Biscuit and, uh, and, and Orgy, which yeah. is what one of her posters on the wall is, Orgy Blue Monday. Imagine she just comes home and learns how to cook quesadillas and just starts blasting. Hey, Ma, you said it. Not me. Yeah. Your role. That's it. That's it. That's it. We're listening to Significant Other now, Mom. That's how it goes. Enjoy did your, it all for the nookie. Enjoy your asparagus. <laughs> but can we talk about how brilliant Conrad Hall is pushing into the dinner? table as it's going on like you're just like quietly just looking into like this scene and it's one of the it's one of the beginning like it's one of the first scenes where i took note and was like whoa this guy like this is going to be a beautifully shot movie (laughs) yeah and man when we were we'll we'll spend a little time now talking about conrad l hall when we were kind of doing our like preparing each other to start this project here you and i'm like all right let's look at other sam mendez's other movies you were like, well, we need to look at the cinematographer's other movies too, because he does. He he rejoined Sam Mendes for Road to Perdition, which you you referenced a little right. earlier. Right, you saw it. Hey, yeah, I watched it last day. night, right after I watched this, and yeah, awesome. And the other one, which I didn't realize until today, which I saw recently too, I watched about a month ago, was Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. He won and, for Oh my yeah. God! I mean, dude, if you watch that movie, you'll watch that movie, and then. You won't believe what year it came out. It's one of those like it's a '60s movie that it's just it's it's shot like a movie that could come out to today, right? And it's crazy. And and so he wins the Oscar for Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. He wins the Oscar for American Beauty, and he wins the Oscar for yeah. Road to Perdition posthumously. Yeah. So his son accepted for him. And, and Thomas Newman works with him in that too in Road to Perdition. So we're at the dinner table. Yeah, the old the old dinner scene, and you get a great dynamic of, of Spacey before his enlightenment slash breakdown. And the colors, it's like blue. The kitchen the, after this, it's like gray blue, and the only thing red is the roses. 
yep. right? And they're just like kind of just doing their like with the utensils on the plate, yep. you know, and she's giving him a hard time and he can't stand up to her. You know, he's like yep. muttering under his breath. He's got no spine right now. Yep, and now the daughter just doesn't want any part of it. You're only talking to me because you had a bad day, you know, and then he kind of goes and we get their, the daddy-daughter dynamic. And then from a distance, we get introduced <laughs> <laughs> to our buddy, Ricky. I know. Ricky with the camcorder. Now, let me ask you this, Jay. Yeah. Technology is something <laughs> we like to talk about here a little bit. Right. Now, like, I personally love it. Right. But for the average zillennial who's going to throw on, <laughs> much like I looked at the Watchman in Rain, Make, in Rain Man oh, yeah. and said, what the hell That's is that? Quote, though. Are, yeah. are, are they going to see a camcorder and go, mom, what the hell is that thing? <laughs> right. Look at that thing. Well, well before uh, iPhones and before, <laughs> what, do you, what do you think about it with all the tapes in the room and yeah. stuff? Is it, is it dated with that? Is it? I don't think it is. I've had this before where somebody, what do you call it? Would you just call him a Z? A like, zillennial, yeah. A zillennial. Right. You know, you tell them to go watch the original Star Wars and they're like, that's, that's sucked. And I'm like, why? Because the, gra the special effects aren't like they are today. Like, get over that part, you know? Like, yeah. I get yeah. it. It doesn't look like it looks like now, but it's the way it was. And that is, that's a good device, you know, in the movie, the camcorder. Yeah, and it works well, and no, I don't. I have no problem with that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and, and we talked about Blair Witch Project too. Yeah, I have like, more of a problem when a movie uses a song that was popular in that year. Okay. So, like, if you're saying if Limp Biscuit was playing in the background of American Beauty, I'd be like, that you'd love God, it. God, right? no, <laughs> like God, this is outdated. Yeah, yeah. You know, so The Who, classic. That's a yeah. timeless thing. And the yeah. music in this movie, man, is it's. It's strong. It's not great. Like, it's not great because, I mean, they kind of pick, they go a little bit like classic rock radio with you a little bit, whether yeah. it's The Who or, that's what he or, or would The Guess to, Who or The... And that's what he would listen to and that's what she would listen to, Rain on My Parade. It's all yep. very character... Oh, I actually love Rain on My Parade and that because that, it's... I, I love any time they use an alt version where usually Rain on the Parade, you're here in the Barbara Streisand version for them to... <laughs> To use Bobby Darino. So, like, I was like, and, and I shouldn't do this. I shouldn't do this when I watch these movies. Uh -huh. Because I've obviously seen them all before at some point in my life. Some of them I saw a year ago. Some of them I saw ten years ago. Right. Sometimes with these, knowing that I'm going to podcast about it, and right. I, I'm ready to attack certain, certain people right. and certain characters. And the Wes Bentley character here, I was ready to go after. I don't know yeah. whether it was the, the Not Another Teen Movie spooks. <laughs> or, the, <laughs> or the wool hat in the middle of the summer. Yeah, yeah right, whatever it was. And I'm just like, you know, there's, I bet you that character doesn't age well. And I bet you, because what else is that guy even in? Right. And I'll tell you what, man. He was, he was going to be public enemy number one for my recast. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Dude, I wouldn't touch I know, his role I know. in it. He, he kills it in this movie, man. It's, uh, yeah. it's Wes Bentley is the actor's name. Uh, he pops up in American Horror Story, I think. He's in The Hunger Games. Uh, Interstellar, which is a movie I just watched recently. He's one of the astronauts in that. He's the right combination of good-looking and creepy. Right. You know, and that's tough to... Right. It's tough to kind of balance that. But he, he does a nice job of uh, where he's... He's good looking enough to believe that, that you can get past his creepiness, but he's confident enough too that he can you know he can manage it and he is he would definitely make a good, still creepy. Yeah. He would make a good serial killer. Yeah, yes. He'd be like, yes. Oh, come on in. Oh what? Well, yeah, come on in, no problem. Yeah, right in that great. American great guy right there. Right in that American yes, psycho vibe yes. right there, yes, absolutely. Um, and I thought for sure that you were gonna 
that you were gonna do what you initially thought you were gonna do, which was he was gonna be like talked about as like what the f is up with Ricky Fitz. Yeah. Because I do feel like it's funny. I said to my my coworker today, it's like you ever see American Beauty? I'm gonna tell him all about this. Like you ever see American Beauty? And he was like, yeah, you know that movie with the like yeah, it was a little weird. And like when you think of that, you're thinking of Ricky Fitz. You are. And you you're are. thinking of Mina and Lester and. Kevin Spacey. Right. Those two things make everybody say that was a weird movie. Is yeah. The, 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 the Lolita aspect mm-hmm. and Ricky Fitz. With yeah. not another, I don't think Not Another Teen Movie did any services to that. Either. I think <laughs> no, like them making fun of it kind of like, yeah, like, <laughs> that's right. It's a, it, pulled the, it pulled the cloak out under that one. You know what it is about him too is he's so stone-faced throughout most of it and he's just so like non-emotional. Everybody else like Carolyn Burnham is so emotional and you just kind of like, you know like a Carolyn Burnham or you know like a Lester Burnham or a Mina, or a, a, a Angela or a Jane. Like you don't know many Ricky Fitzes in your life, you know? So yeah, you know, true, they're like, true. You're like, I don't know how to feel about this guy right now. I don't know him. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, imagine turns, just walking around and someone's just got their iPhone out filming you all the time. Dead like, birds. Oh, chill. Yeah, chill dead with birds. the Snapchat. Yeah, and then, <laughs> right. Dead birds and, and dead homeless women. Yeah, you know, and then, like you said, like what was brilliant. Um, what you said before, a great observation. What about you know? He's the one that <laughs> was in the psych ward and has absolutely collapsed and broken down, and he's come back into their lives to be the backbone of this movie. He's like a third party. Like when you think of main characters in this movie, you're thinking of Lester, Carolyn, Janie, and. Angela, yeah. and then there's the Fitzes next door. Yeah, but he literally de- delivers the whole point of this, the theme of the movie, you yeah. know. And he kind and of his just, dad, and right. his dad drives the plot. <laughs> yeah, so so it's like yeah. amazing. Yeah, or the culmination it's, of the plot. At it's least. really cool. Yeah, and just you know, just to, to step out of it for a second is like my recollection of this movie is that it was dark and cold, and not a feel good movie, and not something I want to rewatch. I didn't realize how warm it was and how how there is a message in here that that is optimistic that this is not necessarily just a pessimistic movie because it is a pessimistic movie it's taking it's taking what everyone knows as norm and saying that it's no good and that beneath it it's it's rotting right but there is a message within within there too and there is a there is a level of hope and a level of afterlife to it too so we'll you know we'll talk a little more as we go but i I had a much better experience for sure this time, right? From that aspect, at least. But so we, after meeting old Ricky, and he's, you know, I mean, listen, Chilling. it's not. I mean, filming people while they're inside their house is not generally a, a cool thing to do to begin with. Here, it's not. Yeah. You know, that's what he does. But hey, that's a, yeah, it's a, it's a stick, man. He, he would make it. money doing that now. <laughs> he'd be a voyeur. He'd have his own webcam. Right. He just. Park up next to Aaron Andrews' house, and you'll love uh, the girl or, next door. Or Hulk Hogan. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Right, so uh, we get this awesome scene where she's got to sell this house now. She being <laughs> yeah. Annette Bening's character, Carolyn, yeah. she's yeah. hyping herself up and, and getting herself. You will sell this house. Will you sell will this sell house this house today. with the lagoon pool today. in the yeah. <laughs> the lagoon pool in the back. What? That's a that's just a hilarious moment. The ad there. said this was lagoon like. There's nothing lagoon about this. <laughs> <laughs> I, can, I, I can call my landscape architect. Like, uh, like I'll bring stuff. in some plants. You want me to bring yeah. in some plants? Uh, yeah, I think I got some tiki torches in the, <laughs> in the shed. Right, yeah. right. But there, in that scene, you get uh, Harold from Harold and Kumar. <laughs> you do. I'm glad you brought yes. that up. Yes, yeah. which 
to this day, I will argue, is the best product placement in any movie ever. Uh, is Harold and Kumar yeah. go to White Castle? That's a great movie. Right in the title of the movie, too. That's I mean, who didn't say. watch that movie and not want to want to find their nearest White Castle or get lost on their way to their nearest yeah. White Castle? You know, sidetrack. There's a documentary by Morgan Spurlock called "The Greatest Movie Ever Sold," and it's all about product placements and putting, you know, a Coke can and tell, and have, getting paid by Coke to have their can in your movie. And so he's doing this documentary about how all these films get money from these big brands to put their big brands in the film. And while he's doing it, he's getting, he's, he's calling up pom, uh, pomade or whatever, you know, whatever the drink is and saying, I'm making a documentary about ad, <laughs> ad placement. Would you like to be in the film? It's, wow. it's so brilliant and so wow. serene. Yeah, it's really cool. And what's that called again? The greatest movie ever sold. It's very nice. It's a great documentary. So this is her being, putting up her facade. Like she thinks she has to be successful now and sell this house and she's the only person you see like when they're going throughout the, the, the house she's like look at this great fan you know look at this this yeah. fireplace she's the only one who sees these things she's like totally don quixote this whole house like she's trying to make things seem greater than they are which is her entire mo she tried to make her marriage seem greater than it is she's trying to make this house seem greater and everybody is completely not buying it when they're walking through yeah and then she cracks now, have you ever been to an open house like that? Like, um, I think I have, yeah. I have not, but I'm, like, fascinated by, like, not, not to, like, actually go out and try to buy a house, but, like, but like, like the Jason Siegel style, like, I love you, man, like, I'm here for the spread, you know? Let's just let's check <laughs> yeah, this place out. Again, she breaks down at the end of it, and she cries. I think her performance in this is just so strong. And in, in her falling short of the Big Five, we're like, I'm actually, like, kind of okay that it didn't win the Big Five. I don't know why it's like a short list there, but yeah. it, it if it would have happened, it would have happened. But I kind of like her performance better than Spacey's in here. I, yeah. I think that I think that Spacey and when you have you seen House of Cards? Were, were you a House of Cards guy at all? Yeah, yeah. Because you kind of see what he does, and he in many ways he kind of reprises his role. This in you mean like in his House acting technique. Yeah, his acting yeah. technique is kind of—he's got this little shtick to him. Right. Whereas I think she like unleashes some real raw emotion. She's one of a kind in this film. She's complete. You don't get many characters like this. For me, for her, in initial 1999 watching this, I was like, she's over the top. Yeah. Which is oh wow, wow okay right yeah. But she, but then you like look back, you watch it a couple more times, you're like, you know, I was like. She's supposed to be over the top. Yeah, she's, she's manic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She's trying to hide something and yeah. be something she's not, and that's her thing. Interesting. She's over the top. She's Interesting. Um, so when she's sitting there and she starts slapping her face, I think I remember people laughing in the theater at that part <laughs> because it's so quick. You're, you're ten minutes in, yeah. and you're not expecting that right yeah. away. That's usually like an end of the movie breakdown, but you're like, "Fuck, this girl's fuck. She's got something going on. She's not happy about." Failure. I feel like the average tiers in movies, I'm at the point where they don't impress me anymore, but like every so often you get some and you go, oh geez, like there's some real emotion there. And I thought she had a couple moments in this where, and you know, when you're going to do it two or three times in a movie, you really got to stick it. Right. And I thought she did. And another movie of Sam Mendes's that I watched for this, and we're going to talk a little bit about Sam Mendes' career at some point here, but is Revolutionary Road. Right. I was and, just going to bring up Leo cries in every movie he's ever in. And you know what, dude? I don't... Did you see, did you see Revolutionary Road? <laughs> yeah. yeah, okay. So that, it's not my favorite, to be honest. I didn't love it. Right. I 
and not for the reasons that most people don't love it. And most people just find it very upsetting. Like I kind of thought like the script was pretty crappy and it was like, it, it didn't totally. It's supposed to be a play, isn't it? I feel like it probably was a play. That yeah, and, I, and the movie. screenwriting was just off. I don't know. I, I, to me, I don't think that, the, that the, the great cast there had much to work with. It, it is greatly acted. Those two going back and forth is like a, yeah. There's all oh, there's moments. There's yeah. moments in that movie for sure. And like that movie should have been way better than it was. I think Marriage Story later on kind of lands <laughs> what they were trying right. to do yeah, with that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's probably one of my least favorite Leo performances. That one that yeah. I've seen, and that's like listen, I don't really have a least favorite because <laughs> I love everything he's in. But yeah. but he has one moment where he cries in that where I was like, whoa, dude, like. It looked like a real person crying in their house, <laughs> and I was. It's like even in, in like what I consider probably my least favorite Leo performance, he might add his best moment in yeah. it, which is that's crazy. Funny. But yep. that's Leo for you there. From the uh, the old real estate experiment, we go over to the basketball game scene. Thora Birch's character would she be a cheerleader or a, or a line dancer or whatever she is there? Just kind of seems like not. No, but that's why she's not good at it. She's yeah, like true. If you, if you look, she like kicks her hat during the middle of the performance and they're not into it. Like, I mean, what like, a lame performance. Like, not, we're, we're, do, like we're doing on Broadway at yeah. halftime at a basketball no game. Like, oh my God, I yikes. I know. But I you get thinking of her as uh, <laughs> Hocus Pocus. Yeah, she's I a kid in Hocus yeah. Pocus, right, right. Like, yeah, yeah. She's still got that goth look in American Beauty. Yes, yeah. yeah. And, and she's, you know... Her performance is lost a little bit in the great performances that that are that take place here on this movie, but she's real solid in that role and plays that, you know, plays that kind of emo teen before emo was a thing. You know, this is just a, a personal preference for me. I'm not a big dream sequence movie guy. I'm really like I, like later on he's actually dreaming with her in the bathtub and the flower petals and right. and yeah. So the basketball court is like that's like the the go to iconic scene is the the one with 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 the flower petals and her leaning back and the one that is on the poster and is the image that probably most people think of when they think of American right. Beauty. I mean, the basketball scene, he, the first time he sees her, kickstarts his entire yeah, revolution slash evolution of character. He sees her and he's like, his passion is ignited. It may be not a, a, an agreeable passion for people watching, but there's something about him seeing her and he's like, it, he's changed. From now until, and, you'll, and we'll talk about the next couple of yeah, scenes, I think he's that, picked up. I think that turns the electric fence off. But the T-Rex going through is when he smokes with Ricky. You know, yeah, like, so, that's like, that's right, like, yeah, yeah but, like, but yeah, she, she lets the, his guard down a little bit with so his interest So we're on the same page because, you know, and you want to talk about the next scene, he's a teenager again. He can't yes. find his words. Yep. He's bumbling over this girl. He's, you know, he's acting <laughs> like a kid again. <laughs> Which has... An amazing line in it too, which I just, I, I had to write down. And, and they're meeting, and, yeah, and he's like, oh, he's like, Jane, you did you did it great." Like I said, and Angela, you you were great too. Very very precise. <laughs> like, it's like everyone there is like, "What?" Yeah, and it's funny because he doesn't even want to go to that basketball game. He says there was a James Bond marathon. Nice, um, yeah, a little foreshadowing <laughs> to Sam Mendes doing Skyfall and Spectra. He doesn't want to go see the game. He says he could be home watching a James Bond marathon, and it ends up actually changing his life. This basketball game, so it's just funny. Like he's not in control. He's still doing what other people are telling him to do, and then he sees her, and then something has changed, clicked in his head. Yeah, he sparked. He's got a little spark now. Yeah, he's got a little a little kick to his step here. Does she even want us to go? You know, <laughs> and I feel like pro probably every parent is always or, or sibling or <laughs> aunt or uncle is always like, 
kind of try to convince themselves that they don't really need to be at the big game or the big <laughs> concert or the big recital, the average go-tos in, in suburban family life. So we get a little bit of Angela and Jane's relationship together. We see that Angela, she's a storyteller. and Or at the time, we don't really, really know. You just think she's just you know, an exhibitionist, I guess. She's just proud in her sexuality. And I re- that's one of the things I remembered about this movie from my first watch was like, her basically bragging on on seeing all these dudes naked and hooking up with all these guys and then when the time comes with her and Spacey later on like she's a virgin you know so like I remember just being kind of like they do a very nice sleight of hand with that where you she's not just BSing like you believe her yeah you don't see it coming you don't see that ending coming no no and they did yeah they definitely do a nice job there with that I Jane encounters Ricky for the first time too or just standing cool. on your porch filming him filming. oh right 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 yeah yeah she gives him the finger right gives yeah, him the yeah. finger and probably calls him a creepo or... and then she smiles she goes inside and she likes the infatuation she smiles behind the window because she looks for him again he's gone and then she gives you a little smirk like well, I, I liked it and one thing that I read about this that I thought was cool was is that as the movie goes Jane and Angela they're how much makeup they're wearing shifts so in the beginning of the movie, Jane, Thora Birch's character, is wearing a ton of makeup. Mina Sorveri's character is just lightly wearing makeup. And as Jane gets more confident, she sheds the makeup and wears less and less. And Angela, as she starts to get a little more insecure, wears more and more and more to the point at the end, she's lathered in makeup and Jane's not wearing any at all. That's so cool. you kind of get the shift in their confidences. Very cool. The old call and hang up from Spacey to uh, to yeah. Angela. The no, I, I, I don't. I, this will be the last time I belabor on technology here. But Star Six Nine. I'm sorry, man. Like, is 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 just someone? Let's just say your average 18 year old throwing this movie on, and and Angela, I Star Sixty Nine, and this is what came up. Are they gonna know what Star Sixty Nine is? I mean, it's like it's it said very cavalierly in this too. Oh, I Star Sixty Nine, like. Like it was some kind of like, like go-to move. And it was back in the day. Like that was like, you know, 99 is like the heat of the old Star 69. <laughs> I think right away they were probably developing technology to block the Star 69. Uh, yeah. And she's got a phone book. What's a phone book? A phone book too. <laughs> yeah, the home phone in itself, is, let alone like the, the technology behind it. But yeah. Some things the, you can't avoid. You know, yeah, whilst, you can't. What's the making film? But like what I would love to see though, is I would love to see in 2025, someone make a movie that takes place in 1999 (laughs) and you get an orgy blue Monday poster and you get star 69 and you get a camcorder with a library of tapes. Like, will they be able to recreate it? Like they do when they recreate a movie from like 1910, you know, will they, will they mix it? Will they, will they mix in Fred Durst into the (laughs) the screenplay? Not a great plan on, on old Lester's part, right? Just just call and run. He just, he does a lot of like running and hiding, you know, just sprint down the hallway. They'll never know it was me. It's like a comic relief scene. I really don't think that scene really adds anything to any part of this movie other than he's infatuated with her. And if you don't figure that out, you know, when he's in bed with the bathtub scene, you know, like they they didn't need this. I really just remember laughing at this part because he so goofily runs out of the room. Yeah, yeah. Or um, when he's leaning in the door. Yeah, you're sprinting down the hall. (laughs) He does not hide it very well. Where. Another thing that kind of dates that movie a little bit is, is that this guy's doing this in 2020. I mean, he's done. Ah, yeah. Your time's up, Spacey. 99. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 
99 was the last time. We're gonna meet Ricky's family here. Mrs. and Colonel Fitz. The Jims come to introduce themselves with their bushel of flowers and... So what's you your know. business? Yeah, what your well, partners, so what's your yeah. business? And I just, there's, the, it's, it's kind of great, like, the, the first line from the colonel is, this country's going to hell in a handbasket. You know, it's, it's just a great, you know, it, it, could, it could or should be over the top, but it's not. It's just kind of awesome. That's why when you talked about the recasting, like, he's perfect, he's, you know. It's oh a, yeah, I'm not touching. I'm not touching minor, Chris Cooper in this movie. Yeah, you know, he's probably in the movie for like eight minutes, and he so makes such a big impact. A hundred percent, fantastically acted. So yeah, real, uh, really portrays internal agony. Oh, it's awesome. His facial expressions through this movie, you can just see the, you can yeah. see the anguish and the self-loathing inside him just by how he looks. Yeah. Uh, Chris Cooper, who will go on to win the Oscar a couple years later for adaptation. Yeah. Another kind of like criminally underrated movie. That is my, you know. I mean, there's. Charlie Kaufman is my favorite screenwriter, and that is, if that's in my top five favorite written movies. Of yeah, all time. man, I, I with you. And, and in addition to, to Cooper and Meryl Streep, you get two Nicolas Cage. You get two. Cage, man, I'm telling you. I, was, I watched Face Off last week, and I wrote to my buddy to text him. I said, not for nothing, even if you don't think he's a good actor, Nicolas Cage leaves it all out there. <laughs> he he does. does not shortchange you in one role. Like, Face Off, he's going a 1,000 miles per hour on yeah. this bad boy, and he's not looking back. He's no. not apologizing for no, it. No, no, Con like, Air. I miss him. I miss that. Yeah. He's so good in the 90s like that. Yeah, leaving Las Vegas, man, too. It's so when we meet... Colonel Fitz, there's there's a scene, it's not in his first scene, but in his next scene. This was like, and you talked about some of the shots of the cinematography earlier. This one just like, I, I just was in my second watch of it, I just went, whoa. So it's, it's the scene of him watching the old black and white army movie yeah. on the couch. He's dead center in the screen, on the couch. His wife is pushed off to the side, just trying to figure out where the hell she is. If you look at the room, the room is set up perfectly symmetrical so that everything in the room, it mirrors the other side and he's in the dead center. And then Ricky walks in and he just kind of plops down on the couch. But if you just take that one still shot of him watching that and it just shows that he just rules that roost yeah. and everything goes through him and you can see how miserable she is. And then it gets quiet and his wife- I'm sorry, his, did you say something? Yeah. I, I'm like, sorry, did, uh, you, did you say something? Uh, no, no. And it's like, no one even like sniffled or coughed. Like it, it literally is just, yeah. it's but, just. And, but you see how Chris, how Colonel Fitz doesn't give her one cent of attention. Nothing. At all. He's just no. eating popcorn, watching that, that army movie. And you like realize. Yeah, just like Tony Soprano, you know, watching his old war classics. This has been going on for a couple of years now where he's just completely ignored her. And when you go back and watch the movie, you should have saw the signs. Yeah. Of who he is, you know, what he is, you know. And, you, and I did it the first time. It's a shock at the end. But when you go back and look at it, you're like, yep, 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 you see. Yeah. Yeah. And Barbara Fitz, is char the character is played by Allison Janney, who will go on to win an Oscar herself uh, in, in I, Tanya. She plays a, a super dialed down minimal role here where she gets, where gets a few lines in it. Yeah. And I think that, that Mendez actually even cut a bunch of the scenes where she was talking because she want, he wanted her to be that, that just diminutive... I, can't, I have no voice in this movie, and 
and talk about you know playing a role where you just literally just kind of background but still play a, a huge presence too is the scene later on in the movie when when Ricky's leaving the house and you know says mom I wish things were better for you heartbreaking yeah and she says wear a raincoat wear a raincoat yeah, yeah she's just so she's just so beaten down it's very very tough you got you have to think that just based on the amount of beatings that Ricky takes this movie, you got to think yeah. that he's probably raised the old backhand sure. to her before he being uh, the colonel. For but sure. Allison Chaney, are you a Lost guy? You ever lost? Did you, did you uh, watch Lost? Two seasons, and then I said they're not going to explain all this. I'm not getting uh, involved. Uh, you know what? I was right. Uh, <laughs> come on, not not not. You know, no, I didn't. Yeah, first yeah. two seasons. I it's I, I I suggest going back to it. It's, listen, She's Lost gets it? a bad rap, so she plays. Jacob and the man in black's mother. Mother. She okay. play, who's her? Just her name is Mother in it. Right. So I mean, if you quit after the second season, you're not going to know what the hell I'm talking about. But yeah. yeah, but yeah. So she plays. She's basically in one episode, and she gets like a backstory deal where she's basically the mother of the island. But uh, highly recommend to, to finish it because I think what, Lost got such a bad rap because it is was probably like mental torture watching that week to week with commercials like yeah, yeah you're right and, yeah. and you know we're waiting and it's like it's network television so there's like 24 episodes a, a season and it's just they're kind of like meandering through the storyline and I think in, in the days of binging it is aged much better where you can kind of roll right through it yeah but when everyone brings up the best shows of all time it's always Breaking Bad Sopranos Lost and if you kind of look at what all those things I mean Breaking Bad was was cable television, but it wasn't basic cable. It wasn't like ABC, NBC. You know, they could do whatever they want. They made all the rules on HBO and all that, but uh, I think Lost kind of gets left. You know what, though? I, uh, I think it helped because I remember just the buzz about it is, you know, holy shit, what happened? You know, the ending, and you're like, ah, oh, we gotta wait a week. Yeah, you know, yeah. Same thing with, I remember 24. 24, man, hell yeah. yeah. And I'm actually rewatching 24 and right now. It was now. during college, and it was like, Everybody would be in a room. I didn't watch it all the time. I just remember them like, you know, knock on the door and they're like, go back, go away. We got, <laughs> we got 10 minutes left. We're at the end. Go Beep. away. And then you wait out here. Beep. Yeah. Boop. Like 10 minutes later, they all come out like, oh my God, oh my God. And then they Mr. Did President, and then every, I need you to patch me through the CPU. And then every week it was a routine. I think that kind of made it big. It made buzz around it. And whereas nowadays I could watch Lost in a week and... I don't have that same experience of waiting with my friends yeah, yeah. for a week like holy shit what's gonna happen yeah next we kind of get this this i don't know it's a party but was it like a real estate party yeah. or they it's an awards dinner or something like what right it's like a dinner party for real estate people I guess. yeah they're just like yeah let's just all just get drunk and yeah. this is a, a pivotal scene in the movie uh, in many ways it is and you don't really expect it you know, it's not yeah, like, no, you just think you're just going about to the next thing. Yeah, on first glance, it's like, whatever, it was just a move. But yeah, it changes a lot of people or starts the change of people. Yeah, we get introduced to, to Buddy, who's basically like the real estate MVP here. And, uh, and that's played by Peter Gallagher, who's probably best known for his role in The O.C. Yes, he was. We're, we're probably dating ourselves again just by even bringing up The O.C. But a character actor who's just... One of those faces that you see, and right. yeah. So that so that that scene, you get like, like the old awkward. You say, "Oh, we've met before, but you know, I'm not I'm not someone uh, that you'd remember." Uh, stop being weird, yeah. and then he just like awkwardly makes out with his wife, and everyone you can see that that Buddy's marriage is probably not going great too. He's got a super hot, probably second or third wife though. Whatever is going on there. Well, it's like one of the first times you see. Okay, Carolyn has a failed marriage that she doesn't want anybody to know about. 
so she tells Lester, don't be weird, you know, don't embarrass me kind of thing. And Lester knows she's so phony. Mm-hmm. And he embarrasses her in front of all of them by being sarcastic with a big long kiss and saying, I'll be whatever you want me to be. And you're just like, he's being a dick. He knows she's fake and she's pissed at him because she's emba- he's embarrassing her. She's trying to be so successful in everything she does. And in the back of her mind, she has such a failed marriage that it must just torment her. The internal struggle of all of these characters <laughs> yeah. is really, you know, it's, right. it, is, it is wild. Which is, I think, kind of one of the reasons why, like, this is not, like, I don't think this is one of those movies, like, the first time you watch it, you necessarily feel great yeah, about. You need to watch it. And I think time. a lot of those movies, like, hurt a little bit. They are layers. Sure. Yeah, yeah. One that comes to mind is, like, not a super rewatchable movie that is obviously very well made and supremely active is Mystic River. Yeah, it's always uh, on Netflix. Like, yeah, it's, go back. it's just like, oh, I, do yeah. I want to go back there? Like, I don't know if I want to go back yeah. there. Like, but how great is that scene? Is that my daughter in there, Sean? Is that my daughter in there? Sean Penn just dialing up to eleven. Clint Eastwood just just aerial shots up to up to off his face. God, what a it's great. What a what a gift Clint Eastwood is it to is the world. Great. Oh God, it is great. So we, we talked, uh, we, we referenced a little earlier, Ricky and Kevin Spacey uh, smoking the doob out in the alleyway. Yes. And this is the turning point for Spacey, it for is. sure, where he just sees how Ricky speaks and Ricky acts. And he just goes, whoa, I can do that. And Ricky quits his job. The poor, poor catering guy, you know, who was just trying to get the, the high school kid to do his damn job, comes out and, you know, basically just gets dismissed and sent back in. It is like... Ricky has this incredible ability throughout the entire film to go unnoticed yet to change every single cast member in this movie. Yeah. Starting with Jane. He shows Jane that she's beautiful and, and can be loved. And then he gets to Lester and he shows Lester how to be confident. He shows Lester by quitting, right? The manager comes out, I don't pay you to do this, whatever you're doing. Yeah. And he's like, fine, I quit. Unless it's like, holy shit, so don't you, just became my whole, you just became my new hero. Yeah. Right? right? <laughs> so then he shows Lester how to be confident, and Lester's amazed. And then we'll get into how he completely breaks Angela at yeah. the end. Oh, yeah. You know, he sees everybody for what they are. And he doesn't tell them until the, the, the time is up for that. And it's really cool. Yeah. You know, he's a, he's a, he's a, he is like the spine of, them, of this movie. Yeah, he really cuts everyone to the core. And yeah, and, and breaks Angela, and that's why Angela starts <laughs> lathering on all that makeup. So yeah, so they're smoking, he, and Lester is beca- is a kid again. Yeah, and, well, I guess I'm in trouble. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that's what I, lo- I love that part. You know, like obviously, first of all, she plays a great drunk mm-hmm. when she's flirting with Buddy, and then he plays a great high when he's like, "Honey, this is, this is Ricky Pitts." Yeah. And he starts like, like giggles. Right? Yeah, right, you know, yeah. like such a good. Scene, like very funny and just uh, another thing that I had read about that too that party too is that her hair, her wild hairdo yeah so if you look at it it's it is very put together in the front but a mess in the back and it's kind of this wacky do and it's like what's she doing with that and the idea is that she made herself look really great from the perspective of the mirror so what she saw she fixed but she because she couldn't see the back of her head and where her hair was going from there, that part's a mess. So it was really just, she was trying to superficially 
control what she could see, but didn't didn't have a grasp of what she couldn't see, which is obviously symbolic. That's really good because there there is a lot of scenes of characters looking in the mirror in this film. Janie in the beginning with the breast augmentation. Lester, we're gonna get to when he looks in the mirror naked, starts working out. Uh, Mina Savari's looking in the mirror at the end when the gunshot goes off. There's a lot of mirrors going on. Yes. So, yeah. Yeah, and just goes back to that, what you had initially said with themes is just that superficial, how people see us. A classic shot that, that would couple come up next is Ricky's filming the girls from across the yard. Right. And Angela's now with Jane here, and she's in her underwear doing a little kind of funky dance. Says, ooh, you want to film me? Here we go, film me. And he zooms past her and zooms into the mirror image of Jane you know, right past the superficial Angela, straight to Jane through the mirror, which is a shot that apparently Sam Mendes took himself. He took the camcorder and, and did that shot himself. I think that's probably one of the famous, you know, we're gonna get to the bag a little later, which is probably the most famous scene in the movie, but I think that zooming in with the camcorder past Angela, straight to the, the, the mirror to Jane, is probably one of the, the famous scenes. And then the next one is old Lester, Kevin Spacey's gotta get his body in shape. Yeah. So he's really going at those two and a half pound weights. Yeah. You know? yeah. That's all <laughs> really, he's got. That's yeah. all he's got. He's so working with what he's got. Yeah. And, and listen, man, I am, no, I am no gym rat, but there is some terrible working out in this movie. I mean, <laughs> I get, every time he hyperextends his arms as he's lifting those, those barbells, like I just, like my, my elbows ache just looking at him. <laughs> We yeah. should have brought in like a strength and conditioning guy to come in here and, and work with Spacey through <laughs> yeah. this. That's the first time you see Ricky's point of view into those double windows, which comes back when Ricky goes over to roll that joint for him. Yep. You know, you get a little, full, you know, set that up. Yeah, and that garage kind of becomes an important place in this movie too, yeah, where yeah. it's now, this is where he, he his, joint. His, his new home his, is, the his old pad. man cave. His, yeah, 99, he started the man cave. He's <laughs> outdating. He, yes. he is a pioneer in this yes. 99 film. No, I'm sure Kevin Spacey's actual man cave is much creepier, but, <laughs> but still, nonetheless. And I just love, he's, he's in there and, and he's just freely smoking smoking weed and, at the and, end yeah absolutely. yeah and, and just smoking. Annette Benning comes in and she's like are you smoking psychotropic yeah. substances yeah, yeah. this I is know. me now I love I always say me and my buddy like you know like we'll be like at the gym and there's that one line where he's like you like muscles even that was he's I've sitting been, on the couch you like Oh uh, yeah, he went he went full spacey on that one. Like even yeah. he, like I feel like part of me wants to believe that that Angela's character just like um I'm gonna go see what Jane's yeah, doing now. Like, like, and that's actually <laughs> our first hint that she's not used to that. Yeah, right. She's not used to the sexual. Intimacy. Yeah, right. Usually she's, she's the yeah. She's he the calls aggressor. her bluff. Yeah, you know, and in a sense. So another thing while he's while he's uh, while he being Lester is trying to get into shape, he he starts jogging. Uh, with with the gyms, the gay right. neighbors, and they're like, "Oh, you're joining the the jog frames." Yeah, I'm just he ch he channels his inner Randy Marsh here, where he's just yeah, just trying to look good naked. Yeah. <laughs> yes, <laughs> and then uh, and then they're they're running past old salty Colonel Fitz, and he goes, "What's this? A damn gay pride parade?" Yeah, I think a lot of the mid two thousands homophobic stuff in comedies and, and whatnot hasn't necessarily aged well. Like, I think that he actually portrayed the homophobic character 
in a way that translates to today's cinema. Right. We're specifically saying that, like, we did the Crash episode, and one of the big issues that we had with Crash is is that how they use racism and hatred in the dialogue is not how you would see it in your everyday life, whereas it would be more kind of behind-the-scenes subtle where you'd mumble it under your breath. Every time the colonel in this movie is being homophobic or showing hatred, he's doing it when he's either talking to himself or talking to Ricky behind closed doors. It's more realistic. So if you're going to use those sorts of slurs and you're going to kind of be overt about it, but you do it in a covert way, it kind of is like, all right, well, this probably still does go on on a regular basis uh, at, at any day where it's not just movie making where it's like, oh, here's your generic, your generic bigot who's rolling down the road just – Ah, you're this and you're that and here, you know, he kind of does it more where you can see the inner anguish where he's kind of holding back because he's unsure about himself. I thought that that part actually aged kind of well with this movie. Yeah, and you need to get, you need to feel his animosity because you need to get to the part where he beats the shit out of Ricky and that has to feel authentic. You have to know that he does not want his son to be gay. Yeah. Yeah, they kind of, they hammer that over the head. Well... So he sees them running, right? And then the next scene, basically during that running scene, he stops and he insinuates to Ricky that he wants to buy weed from him. So they go up to his room and that's when you first see Ricky's films, that Ricky is a big voyeur voyeur, and he's selling him weed. And they start to talk about when Lester was a kid and he says something about like buying his first eight track by flipping burgers all summer. And Ricky says, that's that sucks and lester says no all i did was party and get laid i had my whole life ahead of me yeah you know and and we're basically seeing lester trying to fix that you know from being a kid from being a teenager and just partying getting laid and being carefree to seeing him in the first scene where his life is a mess and he's a prisoner he's got this second chance to get back the life that he lost, then this is what he's going to do for the yeah. rest of the movie. And literally goes back <laughs> yes. to, to quitting his job That's and flipping that. burgers. I, I, what do you mean I won't fit in? I have fast food experience. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> 20 years ago. <laughs> and I, I, I love the, the high school kid interviewing like yeah. the guy who just left a major right. firm. You're overqualified. Yeah, yeah. I don't think you're going to fit in around here. Lester is reverting back to being a kid. He's lusting for girl, high school girls, smoking weed, yeah, you wailing know, on his texts. And, yeah. he, and he ends up buying that car. He's, the car that the he car, yeah, the one the one he always he's wanted. And even and literally car. the remote control car that he's like driving into her that ankles. Yeah. yeah, and I missed the part. I missed that where he said, "I was flipping burgers all summer." And he goes, "Oh, that sucks." And he goes, "Oh no, it's great." Like, and then he literally goes back to flipping. Yeah, there's a real. He really does revert to childhood. <laughs> yeah, he's blasting American Woman and just doing a little car karaoke. And uh, and goes into the drive-through of old Mr. Smiley's and well, he's singing American Woman, right? Yep. And yeah, doing his car karaoke. Bow, American bow, bow, bow. Yeah. And he's and he ends up wanting to get a job. <laughs> yeah, he goes in the drive-through, and I wonder like how many people at the average fast food place like ask for a job application through the drive-through. You know, is that, how often does the drive-through resident have to be like right. handing out the application with that? Uh, we don't have any manager. Manager openings. Nah, I want the least amount of responsibility possible. Because by now, he has called Brad off, right? Yeah, yeah, he quit his job. Yep. Brian Tim, he's blackmailed him, and he said, I'm just an ordinary guy with nothing to lose. And actually, a very 
personal part of this movie is that I've probably had 15 to 20 job, you know, small jobs, big jobs, but 15 total jobs. Every time I put in my two week notice, I go and watch this movie because <laughs> I love the scene when he's got the box full of belongings. Over the shoulder. Doing the Tiger Woods fist shake. Yeah, you know, the box like, full of, over yeah, the I'm shoulder. You know? It makes yeah. you feel like he's completely cut ties with worrying about anything except what he wants yep. and what's going to make him feel good. And it's that's like a feel good part. It's like, yes. Yeah. Yeah. And then he goes to Smiley's and he's like, yeah, you know what? I'm going to get money from the bribe, the blackmail, and I'm just going to flip burgers and look like I have something to do. Just get a little second income in. So it's, yeah, it's, he's rocking and rolling now, man. He's feeling good. Yeah, and it's kind of like interesting too in that he has like a year's salary from the other place in the severance, yeah. but still feels the need to, to do the – and I think like you said, it's reliving his childhood and reverting <laughs> yeah. back to the past. One scene which is a very kind of like undertoned scene that is not one I think that sticks out in the first watch, but when you're rewatching it. And this is where Jane and Ricky are walking home from school. Yeah. And you get that shot of them walking down the road with the trees, very Rain Man-esque. Beautiful, yeah. With all the trees running down the road. And he's talking really about life and about death. And he talks about the homeless woman that he saw and it said it's like staring into the eyes of God. Yeah. And as they're doing that, a, a funeral procession passes them. Yeah. So the hearse followed with all the cars with their blinkers on. Very, very telling, important scene that can go overlooked really easily when, when you're watching. And I think that's one of the things with this movie is, is that it's not necessarily a first watch movie. Look closer, man. Yeah, look, look closer. closer. Exactly, look um, closer. And when I was watching the commentary of Sam Mendes, he's like, watch how Ricky watches the hearse and Jane just watches the other uh, cars go by. So he's yeah. just zoned in on the hearse. Yeah. And she's just like kind of just nonchalantly just wow. watching cars go down the street. It's like those little things like- Very, very cool. Yeah. Very it cool. is a great shot, man. And it goes uncut for a while. They do cut to the side, but it is good. Yeah, you know, as I ask people to pull a quote, we get to our, our famous plas- plastic bag. bag scene here. We're at the bag. Um, oh, because they walk home from school now. That he's like, let me, oh, he shows them. Yeah, shows like, them. Then show he shows her his favorite video. The most beautiful video. thing I've ever filmed. Yeah. And you which have is that. the not another teen movie classic line. <laughs> it's the most beautiful thing I've ever filmed. It's like, and he, even Alan Ball in his Oscar acceptance speech said, like, I think he thanked the little bag floating around whatever whatever because obviously he wrote it and i said always like i always th- never knew like how the f did they get that that shot filmed and i remember yeah. and sam mendes was saying uh that he maybe that he was like looking around to like four different places in burbank like and i guess they just got wind tunnel but like i'm sure it was a hard shot to get a bag to do that yeah but you then know, maybe no looped what. it or yeah but like or like a ton of fans like who knows but you know, Alan Ball had to write it first, so he must have, in his in his acceptance speech, he alludes to the bag, said thanks the bag, so he must have saw it one day and just yeah. saw it in his brain as a human being. That's beautiful. Yeah, well, actually, so the story is is that he was walking the streets and saw a bag just as you see it there, and that's what inspired him to write this screenplay. That's awesome. And this is Wes Bentley's moment. You know, every actor has a moment in this film, yeah. and this is his scene to just nail. Yeah. So he says, so this is my, my, this is my quote of the movie. He says, that's the day that I realized there's this entire life behind things, 
and this incredible benevolent force that wanted me to know that there was no reason for me to be afraid ever. Sometimes there's so much beauty in the world, I feel like I can't take it and my heart's gonna cave in, right? Wow. And he just like delivers it, like doesn't break eye contact with the bag, eyes watering, she's looking at him and he's not, it's almost in that moment he's lost on that beauty and she's like head over heels now. Yeah. yeah, and that, I mean, reading that script is what got him that gig. The script, the casting director said that she didn't understand the line until he read, he read it. it. Awesome. It's like, ah, just this line's here, and I don't really quite get it. And then he read it, and she was like, ooh, I get it now. Or I mentioned a little earlier about the, 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 the pre-9-11 fact of that. A little bit of irony in there is, is that where Alan Ball saw that bag was at the World Trade Center. Uh, he was at the World Trade Center Plaza, and, and that's where he ended up seeing the bag. And, and then, you know, this is kind of like the last pre-9-11 narrative that's, that wins, that wins a, a major award. I mean, like we said, the next year is Gladiator. That's like months before 9-11 wins. But interesting, interesting stuff. I mean, that scene, man, I, I, like I really, like today, watched it a couple times to just really click into it and hone into it. If there's a real message or moral to this story, to me is that A, life is, is very quick and very fleeting, and there are moments and there are aspects of life that we walk by and pass every single day that if you don't take that, that little chance to kind of take it in, you'll miss them and you'll miss the real purpose of life and you'll miss yeah. the, the beauty of life. Yeah. And I, I think that, that, that really with the bag, that's kind of what they're going for there. The old tagline, look closer. I'm going to steal your job for one second because if directly after this bag and the wind beautiful scene, we go to the dinner scene and they are things are a little tense. And I just yes, wanted to sir. say that this entire movie shifts in tone from soft, beautiful scenes to the next scene being really harsh and angry. When Janie shows him her breasts for the first time and there's like Tom Newman's music is going nice and beautiful and it's just this vulnerable scene of her just opening up completely yeah. to him. And that's the transformation. The colonel comes in and slaps the shit out of him. Yeah, right? takes, a, takes a real beating. In right, that one. the real bag of wind is blowing around. The next scene is this tense, tense dinner scene. It's wow. just, it does that. It jumps back and forth. And that's pretty much what life is. It's like these, these quick moments of like seeing the beauty and then there's just anger. And then there's the, another moment of beauty. So it's a very like, it, it's a very reflective of the, an American life too. Yeah, the way super it's, controversial, the controversial um, nudity scene there too because she's, 17 years old oh, this yeah. movie's being made so she had to get like she had to get approval from her parents to do it and that's kind of even like bonkers to even think about right. is you know having someone under 18 filming a nude scene yeah. her parents had to like sign on and they were like on set for it and everything but I think her dad was actually a 70s porn star so I don't think he really that, yeah. he really batted an eye at it but yeah that, that, that's, that's a wild scene but th this dinner scene man this is one that stood out for me big time this, this time around and I'm a newfound lover of asparagus. <laughs> I have just like late in life yeah. had an asparagus renaissance. All right. And I saw, you know, recently I was on social media, you know, someone barbecuing asparagus with lemons all over them. And I'm like, God, that's a great idea. I got it. We don't really get into culinary too much in this, in this podcast, but we're going to take a little moment. Podcast. I was like, God, it was just one of those fleeting moments where you're just like, oh yeah, that's smart. And then I moved on. And then I watched this movie and saw lemons all over the asparagus. I got fucking lemons, man. I gotta get on that. I gotta get on that. Yeah, that's awesome. 
but he th- he throws that play, and that's improv, by the way. The the, the play against the way you can see the Shock. girls legit, <laughs> the girls jump like Thora Birch jumps on her seat like oh my god like she thinks she's getting hit with a with some rebar from the old <laughs> from the old play. And I mean, just psychotic Spacey right there. You know that, and I think you kind of see with him whether it's this or or in Seven or or Usual Suspects or he has that psychotic element to him, and that's why some of these, you know, a creepy character can play these creepy roles that can just that just pop out of its skin at any moment there, and and I think that's one of the reasons why his his performances are so palpable. He does that very well, the whole, you know, and it gives me a little Seven, you know, esque vibe when he's like, do not interrupt me, honey. You know, it's like very like, when he's in the back of the cop car in Seven and he's just like so mundane and monotone and he's, but his work, everything he's saying is like ridiculous. Like he's meaning it and he's like, very purposeful and it's just no pitch. Oh, you didn't know. <laughs> Before he goes manic, she goes manic to kind of give justification. Like you kind of, when he throws the plate, I'm like, yes, thank you. Because she's going like, oh, oh, you're not going to lie? Yeah. Then what is this? What and, it, and the only way for him to stop her is for him to go even Boom. bigger. And then she's like, holy shit. And he's like, finally like. You know, if you thought he stood up to her before, now he's like, do not interrupt me, honey. Yeah, and I kind of also appreciate when he shows the stakes to the daughter, too. You know, like, where, where she's getting, I'm just like, I'm tired of this shit. Oh, no, no, no. <laughs> Sit your ass down. You're not free here either. Yeah. Sit down! <laughs> the scene when he's jerking off to Angela in the bathtub and she wakes up in the middle of it is the first scene that he finally says, no, this is enough. He tries to hide it, you know? It's almost like, it feels so authentic. Like, she's like, what are you doing? And he's like, nothing. Like nothing. that swallow, yeah. you know, right. like, yeah. like, and nothing. we've all been there. We're like, we got caught doing something. Right. We're like, nothing. Are you masturbating? Yeah. He's like, no. And then she's like, yes, you are. And then he's finally just like, fine. Yeah, I'm masturbating. And it's the first time he's got, he's gone and he's not looking back. Nope, that's I'm standing it. up to you. Yeah, you're choking the bishop. Yeah, you know? <laughs> and that's it. And I'm not apologizing. Yeah, I'm tired of you keeping my dick in keeping a mason, my dick jar, in a mason right? jar. Yeah. Right? Yeah. yeah. So good God, that's a uh, that dinner scene, man. And just I kind of love any time movies where they replay a scene to show character shifting, where you get the first dinner scene and then the last dinner scene. His 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 clothing is different. He's not tidied up. His buttons open jobless you know he's well he doesn't have to get dressed for his job anymore yeah. and the canvas they're playing on is identical to the scene before where the shot is the same the room is the same the setting is the same and the characters are different yeah the, oh. you brought up the rain on my parade before uh i i love that scene too with annette banning singing along to to rain on my parade that is now a little a little uh, a little 90s movie trivia question here what other movie has rain on my parade appeared in in the 90s in kind of a famous spot. Uh, and I'll give you a hint is the characters are singing along to it. In the 90s? Yeah, early 90s. Early 90s? Is it a best picture winner? No, it's not, but, you know, um, we'll throw Robin Williams in the mix, if that helps. Really? 
Mrs. Doubtfire. Really? Robin Williams and his gay brother are coming up and they're just they're they're looking directly into the camera and they're singing along to it. That's a, kind of a funny one there too. That kind of jolted me when I saw that one. So we should talk about the part briefly where the real estate king introduces her to a gun. Right? You know what I do when I get it like that? Yep. Yeah, so that's right. Yeah, so Fire she goes... Fire gun. <laughs> right, she'll go to the, she goes to the gun yard and then she's singing the Don't Rain on My Parade deal. Yeah. Right. Because she, yeah, because her anger, she gets her anger out by shooting the gun. Also, another laughable scene is when she says, you like it? And he goes, you like getting fucked by the king? And she says, yeah, fuck me, your majesty. <laughs> Like, it's just like, you don't need to hear that, but it's just like, oh, like dark humor. This has got some dark humor in it. You see yeah. the self-help tapes in On the, the car, car, too. Yeah, yeah. The car seat. yeah. Yeah, it's a... She's changing. You know, not like necessarily like for the good, but no, she's, she's rebelling not. more yeah. toward the, the dark side than he, you know. Yeah, and I'll tell you what, man. I mean, his revelation or breakdown, however you'll view it, is not great either. I mean, he's just reverting to his teenage years, and she's trying to build this this exterior with her guns and her self-help and she's very fragile internally very yeah. fragile and he is by all means an anti-hero yeah. throughout the entire film until the end until his his turn yeah he is the anti-hero he's doing things which is like i feel like people's biggest problem with this film like weird lesser and caroline get get their last little chance to rekindle things on the couch and then we talked about that him almost spilling and Ricky goes into his past in the, the same asylum and, and that. And then we move to the last day of Lester's life. Right. Where he kind of just basically, Helpless. yeah, he goes, this is it, you know. It's or, such a good line. You know, so like, you know what people say today's the la first day of the rest of your life? That is always true until it's the last day. It's the last day, day of your life. That's right, right. right. Yeah, no, there is no rest of your life. Yeah, here. and then you're like, okay, now we're going to get into this. Yeah, we're getting into the old nitty-gritty here right. and before we before we kind of go into Lester's last day I want to talk a little bit about Sam Mendes and and the work that he's done over the years because he's kind of had like he's kind of had like a low-key career you can't he came out with 1917 this year and it was like oh that's a director of American Beauty like right. wait he did Road to Perdition right. what I mean it's he makes it hard to follow his career because he comes out with a movie every like three so or four years. years and it's different than what he did before um, like you'd never be like, oh, he directed James Bond. Of course, everyone knows that. Like, first of all, nobody knows who directs James Bond. Movies. Right. Yeah, well, yeah, that's you right. Know? It's it's very, it, for lack of a better term, covert. But like he, he, you you blend in, you blend into to that it's about franchise James Bond. and yeah. not about and him. it wasn't even Daniel Craig's first James Bond. Yeah, for his first James Bond, it's it, you yeah, had the you had the the Casino Royale. Which was captained by another uh, creepy character in, in Paul Haggis, which we discussed in the, was it? In the he did, yeah uh, he wrote the he wrote the, the screen for wow. Casino Royale and Quantum of Solace. Crash, um, yeah the old Crash guy. Yeah, so he does. So I think it's important to note that American Beauty is his first feature film. You know, yep. he's doing stage, and they give him this script. Like, there's no way they ever thought he was going to win Best Director. You know, it that's why it reminds me of Silence of the Lamb as well. Jonathan Demme was like a B-movie director before he goes and wins yeah. best, you know, the Oscar. Same thing with Sam Mendes. Nobody knows who he is. Mm -hmm. It's his first time at the helm of a big feature film, and he knocks it out of the park. Yeah. And then he goes on and does, like, Jarhead, 
Road to Perdition. Road to Perdition into Away We Go, which is like kind of a rom-com. I haven't seen it. Don't know much about it. I might Rudolph on that one. Revolutionary Road with right. the reunion of the Titanic duo, right. Leo and Kate Winslet. And then the Skyfall Spectra combo. So Skyfall Bond. Is, is my favorite James Bond. You said you watched all the, you know, a couple of old ones. Yeah, I've watched all of them, but I've... What do you think about the Yeah, I wanted to kind of get one of each of them. Right. You know, one of each of the Bonds. And started with Roger Moore, The Spy Who Loved Me, which it was the first one I watched when I did a little Bond stretch and the one I liked the most. Awesome opening shot of him going skiing down the mountain, just kind of taking out uh, people. With you the, get Jaws in that one, which is one of the great reoccurring Bond villains who comes back in as uh, Happy Gilmore's boss in, in uh, Happy Gilmore where... Yeah, he makes shooter shoot the ball off his foot. But uh, we did, did that one, Connery. We did Goldfinger. I watched that, and then I had to I had to get back to Goldeneye because that was the original bomb when I saw. So I rewatched that one. I think that the old ones that I saw, which I picked the kind of the classics, I thought they held up pretty good. I kind of liked Roger Moore a lot. I think that Daniel Craig is the best Bond guy, though. Honestly. And, and Casino Royale would be my favorite Bond movie, I think. Honestly, I think what Daniel Craig did before Sam Mendes and only kept doing with Sam Mendes is made James Bond a human. You know, yeah. like in every other Bond that you that was not involving Daniel Craig, it's this savvy, you know, womanizing, debonair, not not really like there's something wrong with him, but not broken like Daniel Craig brings out this like visceral like tough anger, you know, like covering up his his pain because yeah you know I, I think daniel craig by far is my favorite bond series and skyfall is my favorite bond ever because javier bardem is just the creepiest <laughs> god the two rats the in the barrel scene, <laughs> dude this is sam Mendes' genius the elevator comes down it's all one shot the elevator doors open up and you just hear bardem talking and we just follow him he's like a speck in yeah. the distance and he just gets closer and closer talking yeah. about the rats Wow. Right, and they they start eating each other, and then they they don't eat uh, you know whatever anymore. They only eat rats. You've trained them yep. to only eat yeah. Rats. The two of them are eating there. Yeah, ah, oh, it's brilliant. Crazy, crazy. It is monologue great. there. It Just is great. Uh, and actually, Spectre disappointed me because I thought Christoph Waltz was going to be so much like creepier. Because once you went Bardem and you're like, oh, Christoph Waltz going to be great. Nah, like Bardem before it like knocked it out of the park as far as creepiness and being like a villain, villain. You know, taking his teeth out at that one part and, and killing him, obviously, is a big deal. Yeah, yeah. R- Rami Malek playing the new one, and that will be directed by Corey Fukunaga, oh, yeah. who did the True Detective series. Nice. So, and then, dude, Sam Mendes just kind of pops out of the weeds and does 1917 this year, which I think, have to think, came super close to winning Best Picture. I, I mean, know, right? it was right there. You said it was your favorite movie this past year. My favorite huh? movie this year, I saw it on, a, on the opening night on Thursday night, and then I went back and saw it again on Saturday night. Uh-huh. Um, I saw it twice in three days at the theater. I don't think... This is how I always go. It's, it, I don't think it was the, great, the best movie of this year, but it was my favorite. And I do the same thing with like my top 10 list. Like My favorite movie of all time is The Truman Show. I just well, like it. I can watch yeah. it over and over again. I love Jim Carrey. I love like the idea of like, you know, suspicious neighbors knowing more than you know that you, know, you don't know if they're with you or against you. I love the whole idea. The great, but the greatest movie for me is The Shawshank Redemption. So it depends what list I'm doing, favorite or greatest. And so 1917, my favorite, could it have been more fleshed out character-wise? Yes. 
but it was like a trip, man. It was like you start and you don't stop. You just get in the car, you're going 100 miles per hour, and you don't stop until the end. Yeah. And it was an, I loved it. It was an adventure. It was a journey. I loved watching it, and I'm into it. I watched it yesterday twice because it was Memorial Day. Wow, so cool. Was great. cool. This year was a year where I was able to see a few of them. Like I saw, I saw 1917 in the theater. I saw Once Upon a Time in Hollywood in the theater. I saw Parasite in, uh, in a little indie theater by us here. Packed to the brim, people sitting in the aisles. Very cool experience. Really? And I feel like that's a movie where you, when you see that in, in the theaters, it, it, it just adds to that. And I wasn't – looking back, I'm happy with Parasite winning. Yeah. And I'm comfortable with the idea that that was the best picture this year. I was rooting for Hollywood. You know, I, if I had to fill the ballot out, I was going once upon a time. It's such an Oscar movie too, because they love Hollywood. Loves Hollywood, you know. Yep. Like they love to honor movies about themselves, and so. they like to kind of reward people like for their Quentin, past. Yeah, hasn't, been, yep. hasn't won that yet, yeah. and I thought for sure it was going to win. But what's it? What do you? How do you feel about Hollywood? I got we. I got other movies. I saw it in the movies with my buddy. We're walking out of the car, and he's like, "What do you think?" And I was like, "I thought that was an amazing movie." I also thought it wasn't about anything, you know, besides Hollywood. Like, it yeah. didn't have a, a singular story plot where Pulp Fiction is, you know, find the suitcase or, you know, like some sort of motive. Yeah, where are the or themes? Mechani- you know, what are the themes? And uh, listen, but I have it's to beautiful. See- it's so beautiful. So I have not seen Parasite, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, or 1917 since my theater experience. So I do need to go back and watch all of them. And yeah, I would say that I would agree with that. I had a hard time putting a finger on what the hell necessarily they were going for, but just the performances. And I'm a big, you know, listen, anyone who's listened to me talk for an extended period of time, I hope that there's a lot of people out there But at this point. But I like characters. I like shots. I like presentation. You know, that's what I dig. I, I love dialogue between great actors and actresses, and I love sights and sounds. That you brought up the Revenant before, and it, we're, we're, when you brought up the Revenant spotlight, were you saying that you thought spotlight should have won, and that it won over the epic? Or? It was a bigger. It was a, the Revenant was a big movie, and spotlight was the small movie, and the small movie won that year. Yeah, and it, and I'm still mad about it. Yeah, well, <laughs> I, actually, I just love the Revenant, I, and I get why people don't like the Revenant. It's not necessarily the most enjoyable watch, but to me, despite. And, it, and I guess it has that, it has that eye-rolling aspect of it where, oh, it's the big epic and, oh, we're out in, right, you know, we're out right. in the woods. But I like that about it. And I, I like the fact that it isn't, you know, it isn't just hammering you over the head with plot. And I don't, I I don't know. I think for me, he just won for Birdman, and I did not want to see him win two years in a row. Like, you want to see some diversity just, to, just by giving just a different winner. Yeah, I didn't want to see yeah. him just absolutely sweep the Oscars again. He's an yeah. amazing filmmaker. But I wanted to see something different that year. And I was like, Spotlight, why not? It's a great, great thing to shine a light on. You know, no, no pun intended. Like, I no, can, you know, I can see the sides word. of it, but you feel free to disagree with me, anyone out there. But to me, Revenant blows Birdman out of the water as far as the movie I goes. Did, that's, yeah. I, if I'm going to pick a year for him to do it, I would rather see the Revenant win and the Birdman not have won. I get it, yeah. Right? Before we go back to, the, to, to our movie, <laughs> right. I, just, I do, I do want to just, 1917, the... I, I do. I don't want to just move past that. That long shot, man. I mean, that's kind of the, the horse that they were riding on with right. the movie. And and uh, what other thing I want to bring up too is there's not a ton of World War One movies. 
It's just cinema is in love with World War Two, and the and probably part of that is just like the American involvement in World War One isn't isn't right. what it was in World War Two. Right. It was a cool setting to go back to in 2020 or 2019. I wanted a little more trench warfare in that movie. I think that because you were you were following the one guy, you kind of lost. I at least wanted one big battle scene. I guess that's what wasn't what they were going for, but you right. know the the the. The war movie fan in me wanted one little right, like World Saber. War. What does what a World War One battlefield look like in 2019 right. cinema? Right. Actually, wanted to ask you because you said that Parasite, you had that great experience watching Parasite in a packed theater. Mm-hmm. Do you have a one specific greatest movie theater experience? I do. I do, and I. And it was a movie that I brought up last week that I thought was undershot for a Best Picture nominee, and it's not its not one that many people would, would expect, but the movie 28 Days Later, yeah. to me, was an incredible theater experience. All I knew going in, I didn't know it was a zombie movie, I didn't know anything, all I knew going, going in, what I was told about it was, is that a man wakes up in London, in a London hospital, and he's the only one in the city. That's all I knew going in, and I thought, and I'm a big Danny Boyle guy, and I, I wasn't a big Danny Boyle guy before that. I had never seen a Danny Boyle movie before that. And that movie just took me on a journey. Seeing it in the theater on opening weekend when it debuted, just it just shook me. And I'm, I'm in college. I went on to see it again two more times in the theater after that. But yeah, that one to me is the one that stands out when you ask that question. How about you? One best director, and it starred Sandra Bullock, and it was Gravity in 3D wow. at the Island 16. So Gravity, visually stunning, but add 3D glasses to that. And I had planets and debris and asteroids cool. coming out of my face. It was just awesome. Plus, I love outer space. Just everything about that film I was so into before I even got there. And then you show me all these visuals with the special effects. And then you add in like the ending of her finally like saying, I got to get back to earth and face my, my sadness kind of thing and, yeah. and live okay. my life. I was like, awesome. I cool. walked out of theater. I was like, I'm so glad I did. I saw it with my buddy. So and let me ask you this as someone who's never seen Gravity and as someone who's never seen Avatar, by the way. Avatar Heard was an incredible movie experience when you saw it in, in, in that 3D atmosphere. Yeah. Have you seen Avatar? Uh, yeah. Okay, I have not seen either. But then I've heard when you watch it in your living room, it's kind of like, it's just a blah movie. Yeah. Whereas it kind of maybe got us nominee out of the fact that it had this unbelievable theater presentation. Is Gravity, have you seen Gravity since the theaters? Yeah, I bought Is it, it worth watching in your living room? Um, yes. I, well, I so like not it. too much is lost? You're not going to get... You're going to lose the, the 3D aspect of feeling like you're in outer space, mm-hmm. but you're still going to get a visually stunning movie, a good performance, a great performance by Sandra Bullock, and a little heart at the end. You know, it is very, it kind of reminded me of 1917, where it is very, like, a lot of action going on, you know, there's shit hits the fan, then, then it's quiet, then shit hits the yeah. fan, and it's quiet, but her character is a little more fleshed out, she has a better moments of, like acting than any of the two guys in 1917. I, I hate to admit my ignorance here with this, but Parasite was actually the first movie entirely subtitled that I had ever seen. So and I, since yeah. then, I've gone and watched a bunch just because it's like, alright, now I have no reason. Because you forget about the subtitles five minutes in. And that, have you seen Roma, which is the same director as... Uh, 
Gravity. That's Gravity, right? yeah. I didn't. It's on Netflix. I started yeah. it. I didn't. Okay. I remember in 2000. I haven't either, but I, I was looking for a reason to, <laughs> to be pushed. You know? The year after my favorite subtitle, my favorite foreign film of all time. Well, actually, two. Ready? Okay. I'll say the year after I saw American Beauty in 99, I went with my father. My father took me to go see Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon. Cool. In 2000. And I'm surprised he liked it. That's Ang Lee. Yeah. Ang Lee, right. He's yeah. amazing. And I love that film, but I have to probably say that's my second favorite. My first favorite all-time foreign film is Life is Beautiful. Wow, I which I just watched recently. Yeah. Yeah. I remember you said, like, that's yep. an amazing film. It's so great. But I'm going to throw another Italian film at you, which, I, which my roommate made me watch recently. And I was just unbelievably blown away and I think it is probably one of the best movies I've ever seen let alone the subtitle it's called Cinema Paradiso oh yeah yeah it's, an, it's a, a 1990 flick or 1989 1990 around there Cinema Paradiso anyone check it out it's you know like it, it's just like Life is Beautiful it takes a little while to get going you get past the subtitles early right. it takes a little while to get going with what they're trying to get with the movie but boy if you can watch that movie and not get a, get a little water in your eyes you might, you might be a robot but <laughs> So it's the last day of old Lester's life here, and he starts uh, by letting us know that and then jogging off into the road here. And we kind of get like a sequence of unfortunate events coming up. The colonel going through Ricky's tapes and happening to find the one that has America's weirdest home videos. Kevin Spacey doing, doing the uh, rapid... That's another dated joke. Yeah. <laughs> Although... That show is still on. Stop. It is, but if they renamed it a little bit. It's it's America's. It's just it's called AFV. AFV. Yeah, just AFV. America's, America's funnest videos. videos. Yeah. And honestly, like that kind of has like a cockroach has survived the test of time. Kind of started it. I mean, there was, I'm sure there was some before it, but you, when you look at shows like Ridiculousness, like Rob Deerdex, and just this whole idea, it like um, Tosh Point Oh. Yeah. They would yeah. show videos and then commentate. It was the first time I remember as a kid. Sending in a video and watching other people do stupid shit. Yeah, and if you think about it, it's kind of like aged in reverse, like Benjamin Button style, where it's <laughs> yeah. like, it makes way more sense now yeah. to have a show about a bunch of videos. Where back then you had, you had Ricky's camcorder, or even like the giant 80s video camera that you have to lug on your shoulder. Right. And then you take like a giant video cassette of grandpa like falling out of his chair. And then you take it and you go to the post office and put it in a big yellow envelope <laughs> and mail it to Bob Saget and hope that you get on the show. Like that doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Where now it's just like, yeah, I'm sitting in the park. I take a video of like a guy tripping over a duck and I just, uh, I just send it through social media all the way. So yeah. The second drive through scene that we get to. Right. Where now Spacey sees it. Yeah, I old think buddies. we deserve it after our little workout this <laughs> afternoon. <laughs> and it uh, gives the old, ah, yep, we've met before. I have a feeling you'll remember me next time. Right. Yeah, and I, I like where he sticks up for the old, the old manager of this. Right. Uh, You're on her turf now, right. okay? She gives that old look, yeah. Yeah, it's pretty, pretty funny stuff. You know, and she, there's that moment where Carolyn Burnham's like, oh, Lester, and he's just done. He's like, no, sweetie. It's fine. I want you to be happy. Like, yeah. And I always wonder at the end, Ugh. she drops off Peter Gallagher's character and just wails. And I yeah. feel like that's like the moment. Because I always think like, why? I don't believe she's going to ever kill Lester. You know, I never. No, Still I don't done. either. Still I did. Done. I did on my first view. After watching again, no, yeah. I just think. 
But she does take the gun and she does like think about it. she has to think about it at least the why. Yeah. And I think he just pisses her off so much because he doesn't care about her anymore. You know, he's just done with her. He doesn't give her the satisfaction. He's just like, nope, done with you. And she's just so mad at him now. One of my criticisms of the movie is is, is that as for her bringing the gun into the yard. Like, I, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Like you said, I don't believe right. that she would have tried to do that. Right. If you can maybe, like, you're supposed to wonder, was she planning on killing herself? Did she want him to find the gun? You could right. kind of go into that. But I just thought maybe... They were trying to insert some who done it, some yeah, some who done it, some right. drama, some murder mystery going on there with that, and you know, I that 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 breakdown too, and again, I think there's some great crying in this movie. Oh. Uh, it's By her. she's ex- <laughs> yeah, well, because she's she thinks she's on the high horse that he's oh. actually on, yep. and when she sees that he doesn't care that she's cheating on her, God, that's tough. That's a tough scene. That's tough. You're that's right. really that's. You're right. I, 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 she thinks she's doing. She's sneaking around and doing this like, this like wild, crazy, dirty thing. Right. And then he's just like, "Yeah, I want you to be happy. Do what you want." Uh, he gets her so. Yeah, angry. she's so- a very tortured character, and and you wonder, you wonder what got her there. Was it just the mundane routine of life? Because he he talks about her and what she was in the past. A couple. We don't really get to hear about what he was, other from his own perspective. Right. No, he says you used to be joyful. You used to flash the, the on the top of the rooftops. You used to flash. Yeah, you know, and in the old frat parties. When did you become so joyless? Yeah, uh, then we don't know when, but yeah, apparently yeah. she was quite the catch, and she was full of energy. And you know, she's not a, a stay-at-home mom like like Kate Winslet's character in Revolutionary Road, right? Where she's literally just she's just in the house all day, losing her mind. Her marriage fails, and she can't come to grips with the fact that she's a failure. So she has to make up for it by being a, su- a successful real estate person. Yeah, you know? but then it goes back to why does her marriage fail? You don't know. I think it's just important that you know. You don't yeah. know why. Yeah, true, you know? true. Yeah, yeah. And they just grew apart. So he leaves. Buddy's gone for good. We assume. Okay, so this this kind of goes into the next. See, <laughs> I. T- I said I wouldn't bring up technology again, but, and I won't. I'll just, I'll just leave it there for you. Ricky gets a beep from his beeper. Classic. And, uh, uh, yeah, uh, Jane left something in my, uh, left her book in my room. And he goes over, so now this is another scene where it fortuitively drives the plot, where you get the, he's leaning over and licking the rolling right, paper, right. and it looks just because of how they're positioned. He shifts in the chair. Right. He's got his hands behind his head, <laughs> laid back yeah. while the other guy, where yeah. it's kind of like, it's, it's very Austin Powersy, oh, you know, yeah. or, or, yeah. and it's like, okay. Now, I think that you could imagine a less Hollywood scene where a guy sees his son go into a garage with a guy and just bugs out what's going on in there why did he go into the garage and of course it's a movie so we have to dress it up a little bit so i get i get that well in staying with the theme too the colonel is seeing something that is not true he's seeing what he thinks he's seeing and he's not seeing he's not looking closer right Right. he's not he doesn't even care you know he's just jumping to the conclusion he's angry but it gives him the in with Lester to finally come out. He's angry that his son is doing it, but he's so tortured about never being able to come out that after he beats the shit out of his son, he eventually at the end is like, wait, I can tell someone. If they're gay, then I yeah, can I'm tell gonna them head I'm over, gay. I'm gonna head over yeah. there. And, and... Let's talk about 
Ricky breaking Angela's Yes, okay, yes, 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 yeah, right. Because they're about to run away, and Angela's like, you know, she's jealous. You know, they they have a thing. Yeah, so, okay, so he gives he gives Ricky the final beating. The, the colonel gives Ricky the final beating. We talked about Alfred Get out of my house, I'd rather you be dead and be a her to her, her. Hey. Says goodbye to his mom. And Which is, oof, man, that's a top scene candidate for me, too. Yeah. Talk about, like, a character who has so much, like, undertoned impact that it just barely has a line, but just that scene is, I wish things were better for you, Mom. Uh, I know. And, and that scene sums up almost every character in the movie. Yeah, besides Lester. She, Lester got to do something that she never got to do, which was get back what he lost, or what he thought he lost, which we'll get to. It's, yeah. She never even... Couldn't you wish that things were better for Lester, too, though? It's not like it really ends great for Lester. He gets to have a midlife crisis and then gets shot in the back of the head. No, <laughs> it's not like I could. You could wish that things are. It's nice that he gets like a little period of enlightenment, right. sort of. Which but he's, right, but he understands that he at one point he makes it an attempt to give back what he's lost, whereas she is not going anywhere. Yeah. She knows she's lost her life. Things are not better for her, and you'll and I don't see her smoking weed and wailing on her pecs anytime soon. No. So he got to enjoy and have fun, you know, playing in the playground for a little bit, and you do. I just feel bad because she's completely lost her life, and it's not getting back. So Ricky really, really breaks down. Angela just really breaks down Angela. Right yeah. Her. Yeah. Well, he calls her ordinary. Yeah, and you're like, yeah, and you're ordinary, and yeah. she's not your friend. You just use her, right? He just like sees everything that's going on and just says it out loud and she's at a loss for words right she like tries to um you know curse him out but ends up like just stuttering and then just stammering out and crying on the stairs yeah what what do you, i want to ask you this and and we've already teased that we're going to do our recasting thing later and there's some interesting casting things around mina savari what do you think of mina savari's performance i think it's fine I don't know how you would do it differently, though, because I did think about her being recast, and well, I'm like, is she really that... Like, I get that he yeah, lost that. I, her, I, I think what I think with this character is that character is easier to fuck up than it is to do something great with. Yeah. And I think she does something pretty great with it. I'll put it this way. When I looked back at American Beauty, having not seen it in almost a decade, she was one of the two people I thought of. I thought I Spacey, and I thought... Mira Saveri and, and Mina Sorvino too. Mira Sorvino too. Sorvino. Yeah, right. yeah, she, she yeah. hopped in too. Uh, well, I guess maybe because she's on the poster and she's like the... She's the American beauty. Yeah, she's the poster child of this, right. of this, sto- of this story. Right. But I kind of think that she... And, and it's not like she went on to have a, a super memorable acting career. You know, she's doing American Pie in 99 and, then, and she's doing this. Yeah. And I think she's like 30. You know, in 99, maybe late 20s. So I'm not going to say 30, but she's a lot older than she is. Is she, she did, really she's that old? playing high schoolers. Wow, I kind of vaguely remember that. She, she appears then in, in Six Feet Under as well. Oh, yeah? She rides the, she rides the, Allen, Al, the Allen Ball oh, right through the... <laughs> Money train. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So. Yeah, so, so this role... And you didn't pick her for your recast, too, so I, I, I feel better that. about doing this. Yeah. It was turned down by a bunch of people. Oh, yeah? And... <laughs> one of them, but we'll talk about a little foreshadowing. One was Kirsten Dunst, who said that she didn't want to take the role because she didn't want to make out with Kevin Spacey. Wow. So uh, another one, which is super interesting to me, is Sarah Michelle Gellar. 
Do they were going for that blonde? Yeah, blonde and blonde, I, yeah. I think that she's too hot for that role. It's like you said before, it was so hard to think of someone to recast because even in the smaller roles or like the West Bentley, like even Kevin Spacey is not Leonardo DiCaprio in this film. He's not no. a star. He's, no. he's, he's won an Oscar, but he's only doing like, you know, in LA Confidential, he's a supporting character. He's what's not his Russell biggest, Crowe. What's his biggest blockbuster? I mean, he wasn't even billed in Seven. He was a surprise. Yeah. He yeah. showed up like Maynard James Keenan in the end, you know, yeah. like hiding in the background. This movie puts him on the map. After, right, you right. know, It goes like, Usual Suspects, American Beauty. And people, if you and you just know he's like done good acting jobs in certain movies. I want to sneak this spot in there because I don't know whenever else I'll ever get to talk about this again. Underrated Kevin Spacey movies. Yeah, I got to hide it in the second hour of the podcast so people don't break, well, break it down on it. Here, the movies or performances? Movies. The Negotiator. Oh, man, that's 96. You want my blood? Take my blood. Yeah. Samuel L. So he's riding the, the usual suspect train. Paul it? Giamatti in that one. He's one of the hostages. Yep, <laughs> yep, yep. Just, uh, yeah. That is good. a great, great movie. A movie uh, that's not really talked about anymore. But and it's so good when they talk about, like, when you look to the left, you're activating the right side of your brain. When you look to the right, you're activating your creative side. Like, you learn, like, yeah, no, it's negotiating. Good. Yeah, and he's, he's excellent in it. Yeah. <laughs> Another one that's not a good movie, but but a entertaining watch and someone we've probably all seen just because. So he he kind of goes. We'll we'll get to later. As Sixth Sense is one of the rival the rival no. movies this year, but Pay right. It Forward with uh, Haley Joel Osment. What a shame, right? Yeah, it's, it's such a good idea. The just as a human being, paying it forward is a great idea. And then it gets at the end. You just uh, it yeah. loses its way. Yeah, it, it loses its way. It's kind of it's like got that movie. it's got crash vibes to it, right. you know. And and, uh, and like, crash is one that's come up a couple times. But too, is like that's how I felt with Revolutionary Road. Is it, it had that crash dialogue where people don't talk this way. Like what? Like why does every character ready to just spit out a monologue in a, in a hot moment? You know, like it. Right. Yeah, and 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 pay it forward had that like yeah. characters intertwining. I wanted and that, to like it. And my last one too is Iron Will, the dog sledding when movie. Was, yeah, yeah, the, I, the, I did a rod. Yeah, it came back out like right around the same time as White Fang, but yeah, yeah, that's very early spacey though. So all right, so we just kind of roll through those. Um, he's yeah, but he's a he's like a theater. You could tell like he's a very theater actor, and he's yep. done theater. You know? Yeah, that's how I started. Yeah, um, you know, in um, you know, he did like this movie called The Big Kahuna with Danny DeVito, and it's just very like small budget. Just he's just good. He reminds me of Jack Lemmon, and he loves Jack Lemmon. I love Jack Lemmon too, man. But One of my favorite just, actors. Like, he can go on a tangent without a cut and bring a lot of energy at, at the same time. And you could tell, like, when you're watching a movie, you could tell, like, a theater actor who was in theaters before the movies, because Jack Lemmon is, like, giving you everything he's got in every word he's saying. Because yeah. when you're on theater, that's what you have to do. There's no music, there's no cuts, there's no way to stylize it. So you put Jack Lemmon in, like, the apartment after he's done. <laughs> plays and he you're yeah. like yeah top guy, actor of yeah. all time for me so good have you seen the original uh 12 angry men yeah did you see the remake no highly recommend it man they remade yeah. it in like 98 yeah and jack lemon plays the lead role in it george c scott plays the heel yeah tony soprano is in it uh tony danza yeah. Uh, the, one of the guys from CSI is also in Manhunter. We talked about last week. He plays one of the, the jurors in it. Um, Edward James almost is in it. There's like, look at this all-star cast of, of – it's, it's worth watching. It's, it's worth funny watching. you say that. Somebody yesterday, last night at like 12 o'clock, sent me an article at midnight that said 
it was somebody writing an article on 12 Angry Men that said there's no way that kid was innocent. I, I, read, the, I read the article. I read oh. the article. Hilarious. Yeah. Uh, like, even if one of these things was right, you can't convict. Yeah, you, you, you would never know. convict. Yeah. Like, you, you've created you a scenario where you've broken down all this irrefutable evidence. Right. But I still love that movie. I mean, I come on. Can't can we do that with the Shawshank Redemption, too? Though? Like, let's, uh, let's let these 2020 media piranha get their hands on every movie classes. <laughs> you know what? God damn it. Just let me enjoy it. Happy enjoy the 12 really Angry Men. The colonel is headed over to confront Kevin Spacey in the garage in, in the rain, the pouring rain. Great use of rain in this movie. Very much the fingerprints of Conrad Hall, the cinematographer. He insisted on every scene that had the movie, uh, the, had the rain in a very, done in a very carefully way. You brought up the, the uses of the color red to get that shot of the red door. Right, yeah. Everything is blue except that like little hint of red yep. in these. Yeah. I got one little nitpick issue with this scene here. They're, they're trying to drive the plot a little bit more. Like, why does Kevin Spacey have to say, in a real like suggestive way, we gotta get you out of these clothes? Like, come on, bro. Like, it, like it's not. I'm sorry. Like, even if you were really are high off your ass, like you're not gonna say that that way. Like, okay. and of course the colonels who's got all the suppressed gay energy is waiting like, for that gate yeah like we gotta get you out of these clothes I mean if your neighbor came over from the pouring rain and was like where's my kid or whatever would you go oh what are you doing walking in the rain we gotta get you out of those clothes like come on well, that, I think the line that for me is the most suggestive is when he's like I don't know she's probably probably out fucking the real estate guy and he goes your wife's out fucking another man and you don't care like, <laughs> why because you're gay kind right of thing. yeah yeah and he's like yeah, our our marriage is just a facade, right? And it's just like, hello, yeah, like, no, no, yeah, yeah. American Beauty's theme, like yeah. everything is a facade. Dude, Chris yeah. Cooper, man, it just what a what a job he does yeah. in that role. It, it is you have to portray what's being suppressed, and it's not it's not something you can dial up to ten. You have to you have to show anguish and suffering in your face. In every line you deliver, and he he has he has such sadness in his eyes in this movie, and I don't even know is that yeah. makeup or how do you how do you really even do that? But yeah. he has he looks like a very sad Broken. sad man, right? And, and you know, and that's what Ricky tells him: "What a sad old man you are." Yeah, that yeah. that scene when he kicks his ass, and he's like, "Ricky, you just can't go around doing stuff like like just fucking knocks it out of the park." When he beats yeah. him up for the last time. Yeah, great, great character like, Get actor. Out. I don't ever want to see you again. Great character actor, Chris Cooper, man. Yeah. I mean, like you say, what he won that he won that Oscar in, in adaptation. He's in uh, Money Train, A Time to Kill. And then he went on and did Me, Myself, and Irene as the bad cop chasing yep. your guy. This guy's nuttier than Squirrel Turd. <laughs> Other Oscar relevant movies: Capote, Siriana, Sea Biscuit, and most recently, Little Women from this past year. And if you needed a Batman reference today, he is in The Patriot with Heath, Heath Ledger shares a, a role in there with that, the old Mel Gibson classic. And as a big Stephen King fan, he plays in the eleven twenty two sixty three adaptation I that Hulu that. did. Yeah. You like the adaptation? Did you, did you read the book? Uh, I bought the book and I never finished it. Oh, man. It's a tough book to finish because it's so <laughs> long. The pages yeah. And, uh, oh, no, and then the, the show had already been out. I'm like, I'm just going to go watch James Franco. Uh, the book is way better than the, the, the Hulu <laughs> thing. But my, my roommate, Steve B., who, who will, will pop on here at some point, 
is has been reading it for like two years, and I just it's, we're talking. It's a nine hundred page book, like yeah. Stephen, Stephen King fashion. He's amazing. He's an but amazing. definitely one of my favorite Stephen King books. Yeah. Uh, Such a great idea. Just yeah, and very it. modern. If you're not into horror and you're not into that, check that one out because it's just, it's just cool. Yeah, but he plays Al Templeton, the diner, the uh, diner wow. owner. So uh, he cowers back into the rain. You know that this is probably not going to culminate very well Le- here. You know, it's funny because Lester handles it well. You know, he's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. I think you got the wrong. You know, he doesn't say like, oh, my God, get away from me. He's just like, I think you just got the wrong idea. Yeah, yeah. There's no. And he just disappeared. He's yeah, like, there's no said. way to handle that. I mean, throw the homosexual aspect out of it for a second. Anyone who's ever gone in for the kiss and gotten the stone wall or has had someone come in for the kiss and given the stone wall, neither person never, ever really knows how to handle that. Right. Throw that coming out of the closet aspect into it from a suppressed, angry ex-military guy. We yeah. do not have a, a great good, good situation here. Yeah, yeah and it's that, not. And that's somebody you have to live the rest of your life with next, next door to. to yeah. yeah, so that's going to result in a trip to the gun cabinet unfortunately right. lester then goes from this scene directly into the high school girl in the kitchen well, she's seducing him with the music in the corner and i it's mean a, it's, a, it's a very like i like the song and i can't really like remember how it goes but yeah he's he hears the records playing he goes and sees her and she's just been broken down uh, by yeah. ricky so she's now completely mentally vulnerable, vulnerable. and now she's like well i know this guy likes me so now i'm gonna pick it up again yeah you get your lolita type scene i really like the narrative choice here in him stopping right because it it, it keeps him human right and it keeps him it keeps him decent enough to care about him and care about what's happening next because if he if he takes her virginity, as she says, she's never done this before, which was kind of like a massive plot and twist. Like from a, what I understand, they debated it when <laughs> making this movie. I think that really distracts from the message of this movie if, if you're doing that. They made a good choice there. Well, you know, and like from what I understand is he spent, you know, the better heart, half of the movie wanting to be a teenager, wanting to revert back to his teenage high school years, wanting to be young again. You know, trying to forget his life of a father figure and as a responsible adult. Then he finally gets his chance. He sees this vulnerable girl who just completely opens herself to him. And in that moment, he goes back to being a father again. Yeah. But this time, and like, then he asks, How's right? Jane? Oh man. Yeah. He wraps, well, first he, he, right, right? wraps, he wraps her, her up, yep. wraps her up, and he goes like, to be yeah, the nurturer. He's, right. He's a father again, but like a, a careful father. And he finds himself, yeah. Thoughtful father. Yeah, he finds now. himself. And yes. he, then he goes back to the picture. Yeah, oh, good yeah. call. He yeah, says, good. How's Jane? And when she says she's in love, it's like the greatest thing he's ever heard now. He's, yeah. He does that thing where he like looks to the side, and like smiles to himself. Like, the, you know, he's thinking about it for a second, like, my daughter's in love and she's happy. And he gives you this like smile that. He genuinely is so happy that his daughter is happy. Now he's looking closer. Yeah. Right? Now the beautiful parts of his life are beginning to trickle back in. Yeah, and, and that's his last thought, essentially, as you see the barrel of the gun uh, appear behind his Even head. Even his death is beautifully shot. You it see, is. You know, like the it is. He's finally yeah. at peace, and then it's done. A great final monologue from him. The this old is my left. This is a great part of the movie. Yeah, the, the life flashing before the eyes and the... This really brings everything back to, for me, because he spent the, the whole part of the movie trying to get his life back and not 
And at the end, he realizes his whole life was in front of him. Every little thing about his ordinary life that he talked, you know, quote unquote, like literally says, I had such an ordinary life. But when he's, when he's talking about his life flashing back before his eyes, he's talking about lying on his back and looking at the stars. He's not talking about like these material, extravagant events in his life. He's talking about like the little things of his life that he remembers his grandma's fingers and the way they felt like paper or yeah. the way they seemed like paper um which is uh, and then right he's my cousin tony's new firebird and it's not the bird it's not about the car it's about the way he says it you get this feeling when he was young he was just in awe of something you know yeah. so it's the emotions under these moments yeah and when he purchases that car earlier in the movie he thinks it's about the car, but exactly. what it's really about is that emotion of, of the first time yeah. I ever saw that car. Um, his Carolyn, like on that spin, you know, spin around carnival ride, yeah. just being joyful. Janie at the door with the sparkler, like that's the most innocent-looking thing in the world. Is a kid with a sparkler, existential, you know, lying on your back in the stars. You're in awe of something. The leaves from the maple tree. It's always like these little little things that brought like these evoke these like emotions that that you take for granted until you look back kudos to sam mendez because in the in the original script that we were talking about chris cooper kills him and gets away with it the kids are are convicted of killing yeah uh lester burnham yeah. so it's such a pessimistic ending like um, Jamie ruined. and Ricky Fitz are, are done. It would have ruined the movie. Yeah. And, and it's still, the, the blueprints are still there. And, when, and I realized this last night. When they show Chris Cooper take the shirt off with the, the gloves. He has the latex gloves on. Yeah. And I went, oh my God, he's going to get away with this murder. And I love that they leave that for the imagination and... And I guess yeah. they kind of it, it's kind of part of like the late edit stage where right. but that's not what the movie's not about. Yet. It's interesting so, yeah. that, that it's there. I also hate wrongfully accused movies. <laughs> like I The Fugitive is the most maddening movie in the world to me. Like I don't want to like watch a movie where the guy is trying to prove everyone he didn't do something. Like yeah. I, that's just frustrating to me. When I came home there was a man in my house. What our man? Like I got yeah. well, like you said not what the movie's about the the anti-hero has finally become the hero and has finally figured out the beauty in his life uh, this was a was the runner-up for my quote is this the final the end of the movie and and you probably are looking at me like i'm crazy and 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 i love how that kind of plays out in real life because the first time i saw that i don't even think i was even listening to him at that point point. <laughs> and i watched it again today and was listening to every word he was saying, and it was beautiful. And then he ends it with, you probably just think I'm a crazy person and don't know what I'm talking about, but you'll know one day. Right. You'll know one day. We'll all that, have our moment. Right, and I love how it cuts to black, like you've just been yep. killed like Tony Soprano. Yeah, you know, like, right, yeah, right, right, right. Yeah. And, that, and that goes into Six Feet Under and, and everything that show's about. Six Feet Under, in, in many ways, is, is an intellectual sequel for this movie where they, they took this idea and they ran with it and let's do a, a show where every episode someone dies in the first scene and let's create this narrative and it's a very depressing show to watch yeah. for that very reason but it has an, unli an uplifting spirit to it but I remember that, that show probably debuted in I think like 2001 or 2002 and I watched it right out of the gate like I watched episode one and then probably watched the first three or four seasons straight through 
and stopped like up to the last season and just because I'm immersed in college and just not really uh, in, into episodic television at that point. And it turns out that many people say that that's one of the best finales ever made. And I have never gone back to watch it and, and check it out just because it's kind of like a heavy, heavy deal to go back to. But I never saw it. My buddy says it's one of the greatest written shows of all time. Yeah. Okay, so, I mean, I think that we, uh, we hammered home the point here with this, this movie. You got anything else you want to throw on top before we head to the old BPC Awards? Oh, no. Man, we, we peeled those we layers We did it, man. <laughs> we deep dove. We deep dove the depths, we as, we, as we tend to do here. So, before we head to the BPC Awards, we jumped the gun a little bit mentoring Not Another Teen Movie. Is I brought that up in the past as uh, one of my choices for this next topic. And the next topic is, is that we've had each of our co-hosts here select their, not their three favorite movies, but just three movies that they love or appreciate or, or find very rewatchable that were critically 50% or lower on Rotten Tomatoes or 6.0 or less on IMDb. And not another teen movie, which is spoofed American Beauty, was one of my choices. Honestly, and that is my favorite spoof of all time. It's it, it, scary it, movie came out and it was great, and then this I think this came out a little after, and those are the only two spoofs I remember actually doing everything well. Yeah, um, yeah, and well, just this one had just performances in it that were that that went beyond the subject material. You know, it, yeah. it kind of like. It, uh, it got it, Chris Evans coming uh, out. Yeah, party. yeah, it's awesome. Yeah, it made you forget you were watching like a like a, a Weird Al models type movie. You Plus, know, I'm it, such a big '80s fan that when they make fun of John Hughes, I just love it. Yeah, you know, it's just awesome. Yeah, and and having Molly Ringwald in there wow. too, it's, it's a great slow too. Clap. Everything about yeah, that the, movie. You've picked. You selected three movies. All under 50% critic on Rotten Tomato. What we're gonna do is we're gonna take all the co-host movies at the end of this. Yeah. We're gonna put them in a little social media bracket of some sort have the people vote okay and the winner of the tournament march madness bracket that's awesome we're gonna do an episode on and that person if the, the person whose movie one will host and i'll be on and we'll pick uh, someone else and we'll do a little uh we'll do a little bpc episode on it brilliant. so your first movie uh, jay first movie is this movie little movie called drop dead fred which drop i think dead fred which i think has like nine percent Right? It's like the last one on the list. And Drop Dead Fred is like an early 90s movie starring Phoebe Katz. It actually has um, Carrie Fisher in it. And it is about a girl who has an imaginary friend when she's young. He gets her in trouble, so she's got to like lock him away and say goodbye to him. But he comes back when she's an adult to wreak havoc on her adult life. And it is one of those movies that, like American Beauty, I remember watching with my family, my brother and my sisters. We always go back and reference it. We always laugh about it. And so it, I actually rewatched it maybe like a couple of months ago. It's just, it's a very obscure, unknown movie, but I enjoy it. And I have personal memories about it that keep it nostalgic for me. Very cool. Drop Dead Fred. Haven't seen it myself. The next one is, and you probably could pick any of these movies from his catalog, but I'll just pick one. Paulie Shore managed to make a couple of doozies oh, on boy. this list. Oh man, I almost went the Paulie Shore route too. So, I, I love that you went there. Yeah, okay, go. I'll go with Encino, man. Oh man, you know, <laughs> go, 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 go. It was hard for you not to put that on your list. It wasn't my choice. My choice was... Son-in-law? It was even worse, but go oh, on, go, I'll get to it. Go, go. All right, uh, Encino, man. Just classic. Awesome. Uh, ow, 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 buddy. Just... Paulie Shore being Paulie Shore. The young, great Brendan Fraser. Young Brendan Fraser. 
Um, and always makes me laugh. Uh, I love it. Can't yeah, again, yeah, Paulie Shore, man, it, it he just captured that like MTV VJ being a star era. I mean, I seriously looked at Biodome, and I I would oh, I would yeah. I would challenge anyone to find a lower percentage movie. I yeah. think it's like two percent <laughs> on Rotten Tomatoes. Third one. Third one. Super Troopers. Wow. Yeah. Which I think was like at a 35%. Great choice, man. Yeah. Great choice. I'm shocked that no one got there first. Very good. Yeah, it's a cult yeah. classic. Yeah, it? man. I mean, that this... movie speaks for itself. Everybody, you know, after that movie, it was on film, uh, on tape, on DVD. It just took off. Like, yeah. Like, everybody loved it. Next week, Rob Bobcat from the Chicago episode will join us, myself and RDB, and Rob will be talking Slumdog Millionaire should be a good episode and he's going to give us history so that will kind of uh, rally the troops there with that we'll have our we'll have our field to work with for the old bracket but very good choices man very good choices all right so the BPC awards now for American Beauty Mm -hmm. looking forward to this one let's start MVP here and this is usually I just kind of pick my definitive answer and I said this is that easy the MVP. I have kind of like a, a cop out two part answer to this, right. but yeah, I'll, let you, I'll, let, I'll let you. I'll let I'll let you go first though. Uh, so my two part cop out is: Are we talking about like fictional character MVPs? Or no, acting? no. Our, our good friend, our good friend Joey R, has a little trouble with this. He kind of gets a little lost in the world and and, and personifies the character. Yeah. So it 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 is it is a technical performance. The, but it does actor. not have to be resigned to the people on the screen. Oh, nice. It can be done to the to the filmmakers as well. Ah. Which is going to play into my cop-out a little bit. Oh, boy. Um, well, can I just say... So like, I've picked a performance, an on-screen performance MVP, yeah. and a bigger picture all right, MVP. well, let's do so, all three. Okay. So I said not no. Yeah, give me your fictional world a MVP. fictional too. character MVP is Ricky Fitz. That's that's easy. Right? Yeah. So that would be the Joey R. That would be the Joey R. Honorary MVP award. So all right. So, yeah. So the fictional world MVP. I I, I agree. I agree. With you. He he is the the straw that stirs the drink, yes. if you will, the Reggie Jackson style. <laughs> yeah. But uh, who is your so who is your performance MVP? Kevin Spacey. Okay. Just, he's the main character. He carries the whole film. Um, Oscar award-winning performance, I mean, man. Yeah. I mean, I, I would say I don't think that there's a house of cards without this performance. I think that right? that this helped him get there. He just, Yeah. He just does a lot with that. He, and he fits the role. He's such a middle-aged looking person. And the bigger picture MVP? Sam Mendes from turning it into a courtroom whodunit that would have been forgotten to a movie that you leave afterwards thinking like holy shit maybe my life isn't as bad as i thought it was mvp wise here like as i'm watching the movie and picking an on-screen mvp i have an interesting little bit different choice here i picked chris cooper it's for this one. Oh my god yeah yeah i, I just, agree with that <laughs> i just thought he yeah. was just if it's it's like the david freeze award where like it, when you saw the lineup card he wasn't batting first or third but he got all the big hits, yeah. and he changed the game. And his his acting performance was just it was to say it was stellar it would be would be criminally right. underrating what he did. I mean, he his you could cut the tension with a knife every single time he was on the screen. It's an awesome performance, and it's one that got lost in the first couple times I saw this. 
I look back at this and just say, how did he not get nominated for Best Supporting Actor? It's lost in the nominations as well. hundred percent, man. He should have been nominated for Supporting Actor here. Uh, Michael Caine, I think, won for Cider House Rules that year. But I I mean, dude, Michael Caine. Look, (laughs) not you, princes of Maine, you queens of New England. (laughs) (laughs) You are only supposed to blow the bloody doors off. I love Michael Caine voice. Throw another Batman reference in there if you'd like. And, like, uh, <laughs> and uh, I don't think I want to. <laughs> I failed you. Oh, I failed you. <laughs> wow, I think you might be the MVP now for your so Michael Caine impression. All right, uh, yeah, so he was my on screen MVP. But listen, at the end of the day, in the true spirit of the MVP award, when we talk about the American Beauty MVP, it is 100% without a doubt Sam Mendes. In his directorial debut, he absolutely crushed this. He made this movie what it was. He took the Allen Ball script and put it to film in such an incredible way. I did not appreciate what this movie was when I, when I saw this one 10 years ago. To think about what, and I love that thought of what it could have been and how bad it could have been and how it could have been ruined. We talked about this with The Departed in our very first episode. Is that, that in many ways should have been an absolute shit show and it wasn't, but if, if they center this story around the courtroom drama, it, it sucks the bone marrow out of this movie. Right. And it, it, good way of putting it. it. It just, it ruins it. And Sam Mendes had the foresight to, to get that out of there and make this movie and let you perceive how things would have gone in the otherwise unwatchable sequel. Yes. LVP. Right. Interested in what you got to say here. With this so one. acting, you know, like you, I was like, I don't know, like who, like what, like, where is there a weak performance in this movie? Yeah. So I give it, you know. And, and again, it's least valuable. So it's like everyone can bring value to the table, but who has the most chips in front of their seat? I know. So I have two answers here. I'm going to cross one out. In a, in a game of Texas Hold'em, who's the first eliminator I'm going to say who's Allison getting... Janney because she doesn't say a lot. Okay. Uh, yeah, that's it. What do you, you know? I'm, yeah. You know, and that's not me. That's I have no negative things to say about any of the acting. I only picked her because... Got like one got five, speaking, cut. Five, five speaking lines. Yeah, basically got yeah. most of her acting scenes cut out of it. Wear a raincoat. Did you did you say something? No, okay. Uh, Alright, uh, my turn. Uh, uh, <laughs> I, I apologize for the way things look around here. Okay, she so just I don't mean become to... British. She's <laughs> an old British maid. Yeah, she's so I'm she's sorry. so traumatized that she's become she's become Michael Caine. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Wear a raincoat, Mr. Mr. I fouled you. <laughs> I wish things could have been different for you, Bruce. Uh, Bruce. Okay. Rachel. <laughs> okay. All right. Yeah, so I like, so with this one, man, again, this is tough. There's all killer performances here. So I considered Allison Janney for a second and then dismissed it immediately. Not to step on your toes, but I thought she did something with so little like literally she was given a breadcrumb and and she made protein out of it somehow right. so i i i dismissed her from this from this way i want to preface this by saying that i really like this person's performance and i thought that they were perfectly cast yeah, but again like when we're talking like last week we did rocky like how do you pick an lvp within the within the rocky say. main characters I, i'm i'm going with thor birch oh yeah yeah uh, it, plain jane you know, who it was cast that way is the way it's supposed to be. Yeah. Uh, just unfortunately, 
somebody's got to be. Yeah, like everyone else at the camp, like built the fire and got the food and went fishing, and you know we got to put out someone's torch. So the tribe has spoken, (laughs) Thora. You know, and and we're we're going with you. It's fine. I thought that. I thought that what was called upon from her probably could have been put together by a number of different actresses. And I like her in this, and, and she survived my recast, even though she was like a, a number one target for me. But I'm, unfortunately, she's getting the LVP. And I, I wanted to go after Wes Bentley and Ricky, but dude, he, he, he slaps so in this movie, he's dude. He's gr- crossed is, out. He was my, oh, it was him and her, yeah. Allison and Ricky, but you're like, Ricky's doing what it's he's supposed to be doing. It's a bad take to say Ricky's the LVP. He, was, yeah. he did a great job. Participation award. Who do you want to go home so mom and dad can, can put something on their fridge? They, they're not quite the MVP. They're not quite anybody. Who, who are you giving a, a, a little trophy to? Just to give them a little shout out, give them a little certificate to, that mom and dad could put on the fridge. Just like a thanks for coming. Yeah. yeah. I would like to say an unsung hero who for, I don't think has won an Academy Award. It would be Thomas Newman with a fantastic score. Wow. All right. And, We're going behind the scenes with that. And, I like that. Yeah. And in everything that he's done from Road to Perdition to 1917, um, he's just got, you know, when Thomas Newman is... is you could hear it. He's got yeah. a sound to it, and I think he's an unsung hero here. Cool, cool. And I'm going to stick to our, our inner circle conversation here and give it to Allison Janney. So she's taking home multiple hardware here. She's getting the participation award. The place she's, wasn't enough. Yeah, she's the main character who didn't get to speak, and I just thought her, her vis, visual anguish deserves something. Yeah, Runner-up Scott Bakula. One of the two gyms. And the other gym, by the way, is Sam Robards, who's the son of Jason Robards, Oscar winner, who we brought him a couple times here. Yep, Magnolia, same year. uh, Little uh, Little Big League, which is one of the sub 50 choices by Grand C. Oh, wow. The the owner of the twins. Okay, the Time Machine recast. So this is kind of a new award that we've had. You can pick any actor or any actress from any point of their career, stick them in the DeLorean, bring them to 99. Throw them in this movie. Throw the other person into the black hole. Uh, want me to go first? You want to go first? How do you want to do it? I'll go first. I copped okay. out. I totally copped out on this one. Okay. Right. Out I have a couple. So I, 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 this is one where like, and I feel like this always happens, or at least with, with, with or not always happens. We've only done this a few weeks, but this is like where it's like, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. And now it's like, now I got 10 of them. Yeah. You know, and, and our co-hosts up until this point have egregiously misunderstood this award so yeah. I want to see how you do it uh, yeah. for instance last week these guys were recasting Cannibal Lecter like that's not that's not what I'm trying to do week before that my brother recast the entire Rocky movie right. Right. we're trying to make pick a role try to improve the movie and you're not going to improve the movie by putting someone else in the Hannibal Lecter role but alright all right, so what do, you, what do you have here but this is like a Kevin Smith uh, movie this the copping out that's going okay. on here okay alright um, I might like it though it can be very minor role it's no problem it's extremely minor it's the one person we haven't mentioned yet I'm recasting the real estate king because Peter Gallagher is a great also my recast ah, by the way yeah. I recast the same role alright that's not a cop out that's not a cop out well because who, who, who you can't recast any of the main guys I mean They're in Rocky perfect. I recast Gazelle's driver so that's like I mean, come on that's, <laughs> that's the take it to the zoo that's a and I, yeah, I put I put uh, I put uh, Richie Aprile in that. <laughs> I'll build beans in your ramp. That's awesome. Um, I'm going with today's George Clooney as a suave debonair, womanizing, wow. sedu- seducing. I could see George Clooney giving wow. her the old uh, 
I would love to have So, like, almost yeah. like a cameo spot. Or maybe you take early Clooney, like, out it's of sight Clooney. Nine. He's not, you know, what is he doing now? Three Kings? You know, it's not, you know, Syriana Academy Award. So, you're, yeah, you go earlier Clooney. He's got to have a little gray in his hair, he's though. I guess you can put it in. Pepper. Yeah, we're talking, I like, uh, what's the vampire? What's the vampire movie Dustal with Dawn. Dustal Dawn Clooney? Like, no, no, I'm going, let's go then today's Clooney. Put him back in 99. Okay. He's older. He's salty. And it's like almost a cameo. He's, yeah, he's just this, like a Cary Grant charm to him. And he's just seducing okay. Carolyn Burnham. Okay. So I also recast this role. Okay. I, I, I didn't want to go too good looking with this. Because I thought about John Hamm from... from um, That's a good one. From Mad Men. So you just see John Hamm banging. Carolyn yeah. Burnham. But like a little too... Like a little too has it together. So I, w- I went with Bruce Campbell for that role. So Bruce Campbell from Evil Dead and the, the uh, Army of Darkness movies and Burn Notice, I thought he could kind of play that schlocky... Yes, Bruce Campbell. <laughs> Big Bruce Campbell. Salt and See, we both had yes, salt and pepper. Yes, got the salt and pepper. Head. Yeah, we're talking like 2010 Bruce Campbell, nice. Burn Notice, Sam Axe, Bruce Campbell, slides into that spot, plays the... Uh, Plays the uh, you know the aging guy is just kind of a little dicky, you know. Yeah, oh yeah, it definitely has that that dicky role there too. So I went with that. Now the other thoughts I had, I have a super supporting one. You thought you caught that? Here's the other one. When Ricky and Lester are smoking out on the side, and Ricky's catering boss comes out. Okay, I've recast him. Yeah. Okay, and this guy doesn't even have to change the wardrobe from the movie he's in. Okay, so I want Horatio Sands <laughs> from Step Brothers. Right after getting kicked off the stage for arguing with the Billy Joel request, yeah. comes out and goes, I'm not paying you to do whatever you're doing. He can keep the same wardrobe and go right in, right, right there. So we got all Horatio Sands poking his head in there. Good he's got to play it. He's got to play it real dramatic here. Like, <laughs> I can't have him making a joke out of this. Good for you. And then I just, like I said, I, I, I thought about recasting Thora Birch and... Yeah. They're what? still gonna have to play the same role, right? You know. Yeah, like, I thought about Christina Ricci, maybe. Yeah, those I would get those two confused. Too, yeah, absolutely. teenager Christina yeah. Ricci, a little bit of goth going on. Yep. I thought C- uh, Cersei Ronan's probably a little too too from Lady uh, Bird and, yeah. and and Little Women. I thought maybe maybe a little too distinguished looking in that. So, but anyway, there we go. So that's there's your there your recast scene of the movie. The bag scene. Bag scene. Yeah, not another movie and every other pop culture <laughs> reference has referenced the bag scene it just shows you that it's what everybody remembers from that movie yeah you know? and it's yeah. the backbone of the film and it's the entire theme and message of the film and it cool. really is if you just saw that if you just watched the video of the bag floating around it really is an amazing thing Going on, going yeah, on. man, and listen, that's probably the answer. It wasn't my choice, just because you know I, I went a little <laughs> wacky, but I, that's probably you're you're going to be right at the end of this. Um, I, I love the tossing the asparagus against the wall scene. That was like to me was was up there, and that was like my I was bouncing between that and this. But the, the scene with the two of them walking between the trees, yeah, a, again the symmetry, yeah. and then the, the the hearse and the funeral procession, like that really popped for me. I I, I thought that that kind of like if I'm picking a th- a thematic scene that, that I thought really was again it's not one you you remember even remember your first watch even your second watch right but that one kind of stuck with me but yeah the bag I mean listen the bag scene is, is one of the great the great memories of this now this is kind of our awkward so, 1 to 92 I mean you haven't seen every best picture winner ever but you've seen a bunch you've probably seen you've probably seen as much or, or more than, than a lot of our co-hosts have where do you think that this would fit in in a ranking? And again, it's your personal ranking. So we're not saying like you got to take it to IMDb as like a technical rating. 
if it's your favorite movie of all time, it's going to be number one. But just realize you're putting it over The Godfather and you're putting it over Forrest Gump and you're putting it over Cuckoo's Nest and Arabia and all those, those movies too. Yeah. Uh, whoever may, wherever they may be. Not saying that any of those are my one either, but... Well, because I haven't seen every best picture, I uh, didn't think of it like my top 92 films. Mm-hmm. I thought... If I, I did think, if, I, if AFI comes out next year and goes, we're going to take all these Best Picture winners and rank them. Okay, so let's do that then. Let's do that I then. think they're going to put this film as uh, 55. Okay, so right in the, in middle, the middle, but in the back half. Because I think they're going to overlook it because of the epics. You know, Braveheart, Gladiators, Lawrence of Arabia's. They're all going to get pushed to the top because mm-hmm. they're epics and big, famous films. And then I think it's going to get overlooked because it's newer and smaller and we're going to be nostalgic for the older movies. We're going to be nostalgic for all those great movies of the 70s, The Godfathers, the Ch- you know, all Chinatown then went. But um, Annie Hall's like yep. anything in the 70s, that whole decade's amazing. So yeah. they probably get like Incredible top decade. 10 yeah. anyway. Both so I think it's going to get pushed back and then someone's going to say, well, okay, so, a, what about this movie? So let me ask you this. You've quit your job. And Mr. Smiley's isn't hiring. Okay. And you're going to now work for AFI as an intern. Okay. And they want your submission of your suggestion of what they should publish. So, again, it's not just going to be favorites. You're not just putting Truman Show as number one. Right. But you're, where, where, is it, where is it slotting in? Your strong suggestion in a 1 to 92. And, again, we're in a vacuum. You haven't seen all 92 movies. But where do you think it could realistically slot in? I'm going to put it at 30. 30? Okay. I think that that's very fair. I don't think it's going to be that high on my list. To be honest, I I think, I'll I'll tell you this, after my recent rewatch and after this conversation, and I kind of like went into today saying like, all right, I'm going to let myself be convinced a little bit. There's way more to this movie than I gave credit for initially. It has definitely skyrocketed up my list after this recent project. It may have creeped into the top half, but it's going to be to me right around that border where there's there's going to be the movies that it's going to be going up against when it gets to where it gets placed in the ranking, it's going to have more depth then. But it might not be as enjoyable to watch, whereas I may go with the one that's a slightly more... Like, for instance, like let's just throw it, because I think at the end of the day, it's probably feel like this and Rain Man, and I've just for whatever reason, I brought up Rain Man a couple of times, I feel like they might kind of be in that same boat as who's, who's striving for who. Where Rain Man, to me, might be more of a... Uh, a constructive positive message that I'll, that I'll be able to kind of rewatch and recommend. Right. This is a tough movie to recommend to people because yeah. it's upsetting, yeah. it's depressing. Again, when you when you crack the nut and you look right. closer, you see that there is a there is a a good movie there. Yeah, there's, <laughs> the, well, there's yeah, there's more than a good movie. There's a good message good in there, yeah, and there's yeah, a yeah. warm message in there. But yeah. the warm message is under a lot of layers. Yeah, and you got to really get you got to get you got to get to it, and right. so I'm I'm expecting it's going to be in that middle gauntlet there. So what do you say? Somewhere fifties, like something. I I would say somewhere in the forties. Yeah. At the at the highest, early forties, maybe late thirties, the absolute highest. Before this conversation, before this movie was selected, I would have probably had it in the sixties. Yeah, I think it's higher than that now, but we'll see. We'll see where I know, it goes. It's such a, like a subtle, it's not, it never stands out. You know, it can, it's not going to go up against the Godfather, 
but it's just it's crazy when it won it was like the the next thing like it was like seems like the next big thing it's like this is how movies are going to be from this time forward we talked about you know then kind of like the 9-11 happened and then we kind of we just got jarred as a culture and and everything kind of reset a little bit and i think now the movies that have been made in the 2010s are a little closer to this movie and maybe we're kind of going back there to that spot. So, I think so yeah, it, it's going to be interesting. You know, if we if we kick it around with the other movies that we've already done, I mean, I, I think I got as much out of this movie as a lot of them. Right. So, or I don't have it up there with the Cuckoo's Nest, or up there with the Rocky, or up there with the Lambs. You know, in that next wave, it's it's interesting. It's interesting, man. But I, I I'm happy with it, man. I'm happy with this this conversation about it I think that I got a lot out of it and now I want to bring us to this next one it's kind of another newer thing we're doing I didn't necessarily prep you for this so we're going to kind of put it on the spot in our Chicago episode Rob Bobcat kind of brought up like when we think of best picture winners there's kind of three categories you, you instantly look at and one would be how's the movie shot and presented from a cinematography standpoint yeah how are the performances and then the third being What's the story and how does the theme get carried through the story? So how it's shot, how it's performed, how it's told. Yeah. One to five. One being the weakest, five being checks all the boxes. How it's shot? Five. I would agree. I say it's a five. No. And the lighting, you know, you have have to take into concern with cinematographers. They're responsible for the lighting and there's so many like shadows and lights played on these faces that it's like, it is like beautifully shot yeah and we talked about the revenant and you know if you look at like yeah lawrence of arabia which i think is probably the best shot movie ever (laughs) yeah it's amazing uh it did more with less you know it's tougher to make an impressively shot movie in a suburban area it's another reason why i think graduates are great houses yeah yeah so i I would agree it's a five out of five performances five yeah i also would go five did their job and the characters are so fleshed out that it's all you had to do is just follow the lines, and then they took the, the words on the script, and they made it into even better. Yeah. Form. Everyone in the batting lineup was seeing the ball, man. There was, it was a, <laughs> it was a, yeah, yeah. It was Those a, hits are contagious. Yeah. It was, yeah. They were all clicking. Yeah. Now, the last one is story and theme. Uh, um, you know, I, think, I don't want to seem biased. Right. But I do think, I think theme-wise, it's a five. And, and I want to I preface this, too, by saying, like, I think that the point is is that a best picture winner should be a five out of five. five. Yeah. So don't feel bad about going fives across yeah. the board because, like, last week we went fives across the board. Rock, Science of the Lands, five across the board. Rocky, fives across the board. This is the, only the third time we're doing it. But Well, here's the thing is I want to be, like, self-aware about it. Like, Are you, are you just being a fanboy? No, it's that – the themes are fine. Like, the theme, how do you be the theme about, like, existential life and, like, reassessing your life? It's the way it's told and it, how it turns 50% of the people that watch it off, yep. you know? Yep. So the way it's done, I don't think it's Sam, I don't think it's anybody's fault. I just think it comes off like we always, like we talked about as weird to people. And for some reason, they lose the theme because of the Lolita aspect because of Ricky Fitz being a weirdo filming Dead Birds. And these are all things that push the themes, but it turns people off. Now, is that Alan Ball or Sam Mendes' fault? Absolutely not. It's just the way the movie lands. So one to five. 
five. Fuck it. Yeah. All right. So you you stole my thunder with my reason for yeah. giving it a four. Yeah. Uh, it was not getting five out of five across the board coming into this. I had to seriously think today and saying, you know what, man, this is pretty effective storytelling, and it's really deeply. It's a deeply rooted theme, and it's pretty impressive storytelling. However, the accessibility is where it loses, and you can't just recommend this to any movie fan, let alone grandma. Right. You know, and, and not, you shouldn't have to. Every, not every movie has to be a movie you can recommend to grandma. Yeah. But I mean, there. This is a movie that it's it's kind of dark. Yeah. And yeah. it's kind of upsetting, and it's also not. You don't get all of its nutrients after the first watch. Yeah. Like you gotta kind of rewatch <laughs> a couple times, and it doesn't necessarily command rewatchability. Right. And and whereas a Departed is a movie that you never mind throwing on, and you learn something every time you watch it. But it's rewatchable. Right. It, 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 there's a little bit of a malfunction here with this and that. That's why I'm going to give it a four in that category. So it will be a five, five, four. Can and I just say that my grandma did watch this movie and she hated it. Okay. Uh, <laughs> so it's, not a, yeah, it's not a grandma movie. Yeah. Um, I picked the picture. She calls them pictures. <laughs> I went to see that picture the other day. As we always say, this is not a who should have won podcast, but we do talk about the other nominees. Whether we've seen them or not, we, we go through them in the synopsis. Today, we kind of like, as we started here, we did that little preface of the other movies that came out. For this list of nominees, I think they missed the ball here. And this would have been a, a classic year where there should have been 10 nominees. It would have fit right into today's model, I think. Yeah. And I think that maybe the movies that were snubbed might even be better than the ones that were up here. But we're going to go through them here. So, The Cider House Rules. Small names, small <laughs> Uh Have you seen Cider House Rules? Yeah. Um, you know, it's one of those big movies that Hollywood likes. Yeah, it's it's got Michael Caine in it. and Toby Maguire. Toby Maguire. Charlie Theron is looking fantastic. As always. Besides being a great actress, just um, it's got that old feel to it it's a good it's a good film yeah i remember when this came out this was like the oscar favorite it's yeah. like oh cider house yeah, rules exactly. here comes the oscar yeah, here comes right the oscar up winner. alley yep yep yeah. uh here it is cider house rules rated pg-13 a compassionate young man raised in an orphanage and trained to be a doctor there decides to leave and see the world coming of age it seems yeah so that's the cider house rules we good on that anything else you gonna I won the Academy Award for that. Do you like uh, ap- apple cider? Are you an apple I cider do. fan? I like seasonal. I don't drink it more than once yeah, a year. It's a good fall drink. doesn't keep, though. You know, you know I find what? it doesn't keep. Another Stephen King ref here. And a big BPC-referenced character in Frank Darabont. It's The Green Mile. All right. Starring Tom Hanks. You know, I don't see why... Michael this... Clark Duncan nominated, too. We talked about this. Oh, beautiful. Yeah. That class... Yeah. Haley Joel Osment, Haley Joel, Michael Caine, Michael Clark Duncan, Jude Law, and Tom Cruise. Forget yeah. about it. I don't see why The Green Mile can't be a Best Picture winner. Like you know, that movie makes me cry every time I watch it. I saw it twice in the theaters, cried at the end. Um, the Stephen King, you know, lays a great foundation. It's well acted. Frank Darabont knows how to how Frank to adapt Darabont Stephen King. Is like the most underrated director of all time. It's the fact that he wasn't even nominated for Shawshank makes me just cry. Yeah. And uh, Tom Hanks is 
for one of the greatest actors of all time. Uh, yeah, I think you're right. I think this could have won. It's this easily could have won. Got everything they logged. And again, the Green Mile is, the lives of guards on death row are affected by one of their charges, a black man accused of child murder and rape, yet who has a mysterious gift. Such and a, a little movie. mouse, too. So good. Very good movie. The Insider, starring Russell Crowe. Yeah, a little Michael Mann, you know, um, for a couple of years there, Michael Mann was churning out some hits. Um, he, and then, you know, he was doing um, the one with Jamie Foxx and Tom Cruise. Collateral. Collateral. Yeah, good and, one. Uh, I think he stopped making movies. I think after Miami Vice, I don't remember a Michael Mann movie. But The Insider, Russell Crowe's awesome. Um, just a very, that's a small picture that we're talking about. That had no chance of winning. Right. You know, if any small picture was going to win, it was going to be American Beauty or... And kind of got to maybe wonder, would this have been the one that would have been pulled if one of those other nominees that we talked about? That's an easily, easily replaceable film on yeah. this list. Like, give me Magnolia, like you said, The Matrix, or... I, I still shocked Magnolia wasn't nominated, yeah. man. Okay, but The Insider, a researched chemist comes under personal and professional attack when he decides to appear in a 60 Minutes expose on Big Tobacco. You don't want to F with Big Tobacco. No, they'll get you. South Park has told that story with Rob Reiner. And, uh, and then finally, this one is one that many people I'm sure know. It is an AFI Top 100 movie. It's an M. Night Shyamalan classic. The Sixth Sense. A boy who communicates with spirits seeks the help of a disheartened child psychologist. You know who could have won if Carolyn Burnham, a.k.a. Annette Benning, was not going to win? Tony Collette could have won an award for yeah. the ending of this film when he's talking Got about, when he says, I've, Grandma comes to me yeah. and talks about how you go visit her grave all the time, and she just fucking loses it and starts bawling. And Supporting actress, though, for that one. So she lost, oh, yeah. it, she lost it to Angelina Jolie. But, um, yeah, Such I agree. Good performance. And then, obviously, Haley Joel Osment gives a great performance. Yeah, for sure. Unfortunately, M. Night Shyamalan has not aged to be impervious of nitpicking. Uh, you oh, know, man. anyone wants to watch Lady in the Water, they might, they, might be, they might pull that magnifying glass out of Sixth Sense a little oh, closer. Paul Giamatti is amazing. I will give him that. Yes. Paul yes, Giamatti yes. and Cinderella Man is uh, amazing. Sideways, too, man. Sideways is yeah. uh, a great performance. Oh, also. Don't drink fucking Marlowe. <laughs> I'm not drinking any fucking Marlowe. <laughs> oh, God. So good. All right, man. We've come to the end here. Uh, I hope you had fun. It was, uh, I had a blast. Uh, again, this is Jay Dowski. He's part of the BPC universe now. And uh, again, we're going to plug his book again. It's Bury Me in Montauk by Jay Dowski. It's available on Amazon. Bury me in Montauk. Jay Dowski. Jay, any closing words? I had a blast. This is a, a great podcast. I've listened to a bunch of episodes. You guys do a great job. I'm glad I got a chance to do this. Um, I don't want to leave. There's, <laughs> so, there's something about just talking about movies that makes you want to do it for hours upon hours. And uh, that's it. We will certainly, certainly have you back again, man. I mean, uh, I had fun as I always do, but uh, it was uh, it was a pleasure talking with you again. I've uh, you know had many a, a chat with you before. Yeah. But I think this time you're gonna remember me, Jay. <laughs> Thank you, everyone, and we'll catch you next time. Bye.